welcome to a very special bonus episode of Into the Aether. It's a low-key video game podcast, and my name is Brendan Bigley. I'm Stephen Hilger. And uh, joining us today, we have a special guest. He's the editor-in-chief and co-founder of Polygon.com, editor on Quest, an incredible RPG, a uh, tabletop RPG that you can go pick up, uh, co-host on The Besties, which is a Spotify exclusive, and uh, <laughs> the creator of Postgame, which is a news uh, newsletter on Substack, which uh, I'm a very big fan of. Uh, it's Hi, Plant. Thank you. Hi, everybody. It's me, the person who does too much game stuff. <laughs> Just that, that yeah. summarizes it. Sure. So, so thrilled to have you uh, on the show. I mean, we are both big fans of all of your work. Uh, even our uh, editor, AJ. Hello, AJ. Um, is, I think, the <laughs> one of the mods on the Quest Discord. We're, we're deeply embedded. So thank you so much for joining us today. It, thank you, it AJ. I appreciate you. <laughs> we also, this show would not exist without AJ's very yeah. hard work. Thank you, AJ. Especially considering what we have planned for this episode, which we didn't even tell you about, but we'll we'll talk about oh, it during a no. break. <laughs> I'm really sorry, AJ. <laughs> well, here's here's the thing, Chris. <laughs> you you uh, were very very kind to us, and we are on a list. I for, I think it's called Eat Sleep Game. It's a it's oh a, yeah yeah yeah. It's yeah. a playlist so of podcast episodes on Spotify.com, and the episode that we have in there is um, Everybody's a Ghost, which is our Kentucky Route Zero breakdown, which does end with fifty minutes of highway sounds um so i mean we're just trying to bring that energy today i think as well <laughs> i was just really trying to boost your minutes played you know <laughs> <laughs> so today we are talking about two games um <laughs> the original pitch was maybe mario and sonic at the olympic games but you said how about something that's not that and then gave us a list of things <laughs> uh, two games of which are spelunky and near automata automata yes yes not automata because yeah. that is the correct, that, that's how you pronounce the actual word. Yeah. But automata is how it's pronounced in the game. In the game, you know yes. That's how the game's going to say it. That's how you should, that's that's it. I've been wrong this whole time. I'm so sorry. It's okay. It's you okay. just got to correct yourself and do it like this from now on. Yeah. And automata. as long as you don't go on Twitter and let me know, me, a person who literally <laughs> my only job is talking about this game, know that I am wrong. Otherwise, you're fine. Cool. You can be wrong. Cool. In peace. That's okay. <laughs> Um, so these two games are just like, it's wild that you pick these two games. I would say of, of, I mean, we were just talking about our games of the decade are like top five games of the decade that we came down on. Spelunky is on that list. Um, it is like easily one of my favorite games of all time. I have played it more hours than I can count at this point across every device possible that was released on from Vita to Xbox 360 to PS4, the whole gamut. And Near Automata, we talked about, Steven and I, uh, a long, long, long time ago, um, after I had finished finished the A route, which we'll get to way later. Um, and then you picked it up and started playing it. And I think we talked about it for like four straight episodes and then again in the games of the decade. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It kind of came off like I had a series of bad dreams and was just like gushing to you about it. You're like, okay, that's nice. So let's talk about something. Anything else? <laughs> Please. Yeah. The, these two games mean a lot to us personally. Yeah. So um, really, really, really excited to talk about them. And we wanted to start with Splunky because that one does not involve 26 different routes. Um, and... <laughs> Although maybe it kind of involves infinite routes, but I, we can talk about it. It does, yeah. Yeah. That's true. Um, so on your end, Chris, where did you pick up Splunky? Was it with Classic? Was it with HD? Like, what is your history with this game and roguelikes in general? And like, where do you land on this? Yeah, uh, I picked up Splunky with Classic, the freeware game, uh, just because it was one of those games that everybody 
talked about when you would go to the game developers conference it was like the game developers game you know everybody i mean i think it started with um tim at double fine he was a huge fan of it and then when you know your boss is a fan of something everybody else plays it so then everybody double fine played it mm-hmm. and then i got word from that of like okay you have you have to play this game spelunky it's it's just amazing and it's it's free and uh <laughs> at that time i i had no no dollars i'm um, so just like that's a great price for a video <laughs> game yeah. i love it and i i played it and i was like well this is horrible um, <laughs> why would anybody like this it looks like uh, garbage it's completely unforgiving and it, it seems like uh, totally predictable like it's barely even designed so i <laughs> threw it away no, but then um i, I worked with uh, my pal uh russ freshick who works at polygon now both of us worked at this uh just ill-begotten website called ugo way back in the day and he is one of those people who once he starts thinking is just going to just complete it just to prove that he did especially if it's challenging mm-hmm. yeah and he pulled me back and was like no you, you actually have to like give this more than five minutes of your attention um you just stubborn uh impatient human and i go back in i was like yeah actually there's a lot going on here it is effectively a perfect little clock and it's so rare to find a game especially at that point where everything had shifted towards you know like brown triple a games that yeah. didn't do much other than push you forward to have something where everything influenced everything else and you had creative freedom and agency so that was that and then uh both of us were working at polygon years later and spelunky hd came out and both of us got code and i had the opportunity to review it which was a real pleasure it's the only 10 out of 10 that i think you should actually have a score on um <laughs> and I, I stand by that yeah um uh, and meanwhile, uh, Fresh Stick was the first person to beat the game. So he has that forever on his achievements and he holds it over me. Um, like ever? You, ever. Well, like ever on Xbox. If you go on like the Xbox achievement, whatever website. Yeah. He's the person who unlocked like beating the game. Whoa. Um, and and yeah, I'm, we're, I'm, we're saying beating is in like make it through hell or make it, make yeah, it through so the making temple? It through, making it through like the core run. Okay, so, yeah. which is, I guess, something. We'll, I, I don't know how much we have to talk about, like all the intricacies, because I imagine people who listen to your show like are pretty familiar with them being lots of hidden runs. Yeah, I would I would imagine but, so. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it is. It is um, probably worth touching on um, very, very quickly. Plunky roguelike game, four main worlds you have to make it through, uh, but there are just a ton of secrets and a lot of other things and a lot of ways that you technically can beat the game that don't include going through those four main those four main places. Yeah. Yeah. I um, mean, then you asked about uh, roguelikes. Yeah, I I, I like, uh, I'm, I'm, it's weird, I'm not good at video games, like uh, spoilers, <laughs> I've never actually beaten a Dark Souls game. I get about like 60 to 70% of the way through and I'm like, yeah, I know what it is. Um, yeah, I get that. And then yeah. I move on, which is probably a curse of the job. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but but with um with roguelikes I prefer things like Spelunky where I feel validated by my investment in time because mm-hmm. I can see my skill getting better rather than numbers getting better. I yeah. I really kind of struggle with um number award systems or XP systems in games. I it, it feels so artificial to me and especially when I can see it. I know that's very trendy or was trendy for a while. But it just makes me feel a little empty. So I, I enjoy things like Rogue Legacy, and I've been playing Rogue Legacy too. It's perfectly fun, but at the same time, I, I always feel like, well, am I good, or am I like just yeah. grinding to unlock 
the thing that's going to make me powerful enough to keep moving through this game. Yeah, from what I've heard of Rogue Legacy 2, it is a lot more of Rogue Legacy 1. And that game, as much as I mm-hmm. extremely, extremely loved Rogue Legacy 1, I, I did find that, at least on my first playthrough, I just had like the kind of power fantasy thing where I thought that I was getting better, and it turns out it was the stats. And then upon repeated playthroughs, as they kept releasing it on other platforms, which I should maybe just stop buying roguelikes on every single platform <laughs> they get released on. But, uh, as I continued buying and playing all of Rogue Legacy, <laughs> over and over and over again one day i'll get better at this thing yeah <laughs> it, it just it just really occurred to me that that's what that game was all about yeah i don't know do you have any more uh any more roguelikes that you are like a huge fan of uh i mean i really like mobile game roguelikes like i don't know if i'm pronouncing his name right i feel terrible michael brow or brogue oh yeah it's uh, eight hack um mm-hmm. but yeah all his games are incredible and i and i tend to feel that way just about roguelikes on i guess closer to rogue format on yeah. uh on mobile like that that's really my sweet spot and those games where it's like you take a move and everything else moves mm-hmm. what is it shinin the wanderer is that it uh oh, oh, is that is that the thinking on a sega game apple arcade uh, sega game is that that one maybe wait a second i'm i'm mystery dungeon <laughs> is what it's called it's called shirin the wanderer and it's mm. the Mystery Dungeon series. But it is uh, great. That's it. I, I wish I had more. <laughs> there is there's going to be more thought. <laughs> and then I was just like, no, this is good. It's just a really good game that has been released on like every video game system ever. Oh. Um, yeah. I should yeah. probably play that. Uh, yeah. They're, they're great. I think it's actually tied to the Pokemon Mystery Dungeon games. Mm. Are technically part of the same series so sheer and the wanderer okay. and pokemon mystery dungeon i think i think are part of the same mystery dungeon metaverse okay wow yeah That's like canonically to- or just like as a series yeah, I don't know. I mean, I mean, I'm gonna have to throw the Wikipedia page on this one. You know, like my, my old pal Wiki. Um, I'm only asking because I've only played the demo of the new Pokemon Dungeon, and it begins uh-huh. with the backstory that you were a human that has turned into a Pokemon, which like immediately uh-huh. kind of threw me off. So I'm wondering if that's the connection somehow, <laughs> or like that's how they justify Pokemon. I'm wondering if this is like what what is that '90s sitcom that ended with, uh, or the '80s sitcom that ended with the kid in the hospital waking up and he had dreamed the entire sitcom. Um, oh, um, it's the hospital show. Uh, oh my God, what is oh, it? Oh, um, yeah, it's it's like all in that kid's brain, like all of television is inside of it. Yes. Yeah, I just I I just pulled up the wiki. There is a Dragon Quest, Sheer and the Wanderer, Druaga, Pokemon, and uh, an Etrian Mystery Dungeon game, all part of the same series, which begins with none of them. It begins with a game <laughs> called Tomiko's Great Adventure. Oh my god. So, welcome to video games. <laughs> I do feel like just we just unlocked something. something. We, yeah. just, we yeah. just waltzed directly into the Aether and pulled out something yeah. cursed that we're not allowed to look at straight on. I can't on. believe that we haven't even gotten into like near lore yet and we're already like, we've already lost message. <laughs> I was going to say that the, the, the connecting tissue here to me is this idea of like a never ending story, basically. You know? Yeah. Um, yes. Anyway, the show was saying elsewhere. I just had to look it up. And oh, yes. It was saying elsewhere. Yes. Saying elsewhere. Thank you. Anyway, Amazing. so. Uh, uh, roguelikes on on my end just to fly through it because i've talked about it a lot on this show but i'll fly through it um when i was in high school like senior year of high school i was playing the first release like the first like very first release of the binding of isaac like a lot and that was like my big podcast game uh was just like listening to podcasts playing binding of isaac like once i didn't even know what a roguelike was really at that point i just knew that i liked binding of isaac a whole lot um and i i the infinite replayability idea was just really exciting to me 
Um, and then over time, learning more and more about what that genre is and, you know, what's a roguelike and what's a roguelite and all that stuff, which I, I think it's kind of you could go on forever about what those words mean. But I think they're kind of all becoming homogenous at a certain point, maybe. Yeah. But anyway, I, I got really, really into Rogue Legacy and Spelunky, um, essentially. And since then, just like every roguelike that kind of is of note, I will check out kind of without any hesitation. I will just dive fully into it and just see what's up. Um, so like I would say maybe Dead Cells is the most recent one that I got extremely into. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Spelunky, Spelunky was kind of like the uh, the like Rosetta Stone for me for for roguelikes <laughs> as a genre. Pe- people who are listening can't see this, but you are, you have your palm <laughs> on your forehead, brushing through your your hair like you have been transported back to a time and a place <laughs> that contains memories and feelings uh-huh. beyond beyond mere words. Yeah, I <laughs> the the idea of talking about Spelunky to me is like literally charting a course through my life from the moment it came out on Xbox 360 and onward. Um, I even like right here... Actually, I'm I'm in the middle of moving, so it's gonna be harder for me to just grab than usual. But I have a Vita like right here that has Spelunky nice. on it, and it's like charged and ready to go. Like I <laughs> played just so much Spelunky, and and it got to the point where like I was doing the daily challenge constantly. I was watching speed runs and like trying to learn how to get even better beyond just playing the game, which is like when you know you're way too far down the rabbit hole. Oh yeah, yeah, and then yeah. and then had to like uh, just pull up on the joystick and and bail out of that experience. Um, so I, I put Spelunky down for really long time and then revisited again for this episode over the past couple weeks which has been a really wild scenario to realize fully and completely that all of my skill had gone out the window and i'm terrible at that game again starting completely from scratch it's great it's great yeah so we also have a a, a relative spelunky novice yes yes Hello. I'm pod. Hello. I'm the, <laughs> you might know me as a relative Spelunky novice. <laughs> um, yeah, so I, I have just started playing Spelunky, like, I guess the last few weeks. Um, just real quick, my history with roguelikes as well. I've always been a little bit more interested in roguelikes that try to incorporate this idea of, like, uh, restarting into the narrative. So the first roguelike that I can remember mm-hmm. that really landed for me was FTL, which was oh. a, uh, for those unfamiliar, it was a game where, like, it was basically like a space flight D&D game where you like you manage like your crew and your resources and like every time you jumped to a new part of the galaxy it would be a random event so like it wasn't really the same type of roguelike that Spelunky is where like you're mechanically getting better but it's more like how did this experience play out and, and yeah. FTL in particular gives you just enough like it's a pretty minimalist lore like there's like you know the mantis aliens there's like robot aliens but they don't really tell you anything of like what's actually happening yeah so like i think that's purposeful because then i found myself filling in the blanks that like justified how that story went so it didn't even matter if i won or lost it just felt like a fresh experience and of course like you unlock more stuff so there's more variety but it was more about i guess the uncertainty and and surprise of the moment than like I'm better at FTL, if that makes sense. Mm. And one day it eventually all just works out for the crew. And like that was yeah, just one day I beat the yeah. rebel ship somehow. I'm like, okay, cool. But um, another game, same developer, I think was into the breach, which we talked about like early on in the show, uh, but very actually even more with that, they introduced the concept that like those characters are traveling back in time mm-hmm. to, to like undo this kind of Evangelion threat of bugs. 
Yes. Um, so, yeah, but with Spelunky, I, I felt bad because, like, I think a lot of the show, Brendan, has been you and I, like, sharing our, our deepest loves with each other. Mm-hmm. And slowly but surely us kind of checking out that. So, like, we started the show with me coming in, like, as a huge RPG fan and you as a big roguelike fan. And actually, this episode kind of represents us checking out the other, I think. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, this is like us meeting in the middle very much. <laughs> but yeah, so anyway. Happy that I can um, mediate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is the first episode where Steve and I haven't been screaming at the top of our lungs, arguing with one another. Finally, we put down our, our angry gamer podcast vibe. Chris is the ref of this episode, just making sure, you know, we don't scream. Uh, but anyway, in terms of Spelunky, in addition to everything I'd heard about it, you messaged me like when I told you I got it. You said, I implore you to play past the point where you get frustrated, which it sounds like you eventually did, Chris, where like you had that initial like, what is this, you know? And oh, yeah. it really does feel like Pratfall the game the first time you pick it up. Because it's like, you're like, oh, cool, I'm in a, I'm in a mine, I'm exploring, and then it darts like, Poof, and you just fall into something. Like, <laughs> it's a pretty like Mario-esque game in design. Like, everything's kind of cute and cartoony. But the deaths are like very harrowing, especially the spikes. Like, yes. you like squiggle a bit as you like slowly fall. It's really disturbing. Truly, truly horrific, yeah. We'll probably talk more about that as we get into the, if you want to hear more about those gruesome deaths, we'll get into but I uh, do I do think that's a good point to touch on, though, because even yeah. the uh, weirdly between when we decided we were going to do this episode and now they have now <laughs> they being Derek, you has, has announced that Splunky 2 is going to be coming out next month, which. Yeah. Well, holy shit. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, the end of that trailer is like 45 seconds of one death playing out as as the Splunky guy just like ragdolls <laughs> down the entirety of the caves. It's like even Derek, you very much understands the appeal of this game, oh, yeah. you know? Yeah. It's somewhere between like Looney Tunes and South. South Park. Yes. Anyway, South Park, I mean like the Kenny death sequences yeah. from like, early yeah, in a way, days yeah, of South totally. Park. Yeah. <laughs> like they're, they catch you off guard with like, the, and it's not like super gratuitous, but it's a little bit more than you expect. Like yeah. is it with Kenny, you know? Oh yeah. Um, yeah. But I think what kind of adds levity is like there's a journal entry paired with the death that'll be like, I broke every bone in my body. And like, yes. you know, or like <laughs> I was consumed. I, uh, my favorite is with the vampire. It's I could feel my humanity being drained away by the vampire's oh, body. I'm like, give me <laughs> that story i want to see what happens next with that because um but anyway i i really i i also had that experience even in my shorter time playing it over the course of like two or three weeks i want to say i have probably put in like 10 hours at this point i think like the first two hours are just straight up like failure um and then you eventually things get a little bit more second nature i i I found that i had a firmer grasp on what was worth the risk you know because at first you just see these gems and you see like these enemies and okay is it worth exploring a little bit longer i know now if i stay too long in this one floor a ghost will show up do i want the ghost to show up to make the jewels more valuable i didn't know that was a thing but now i do because i've been playing for 10 hours (laughs) Uh, so like there's some stuff like that where there's a lot of organic discovery and then as soon as you feel like you've gotten better you get to the jungle which I'm still in, and that's just the game being like, shut the fuck up, you suck, you idiot! You know, and like, uh, I really wanted oh for this episode gosh. to get past the jungle to like join the cool kids club of Spelunky pros, <laughs> but I'm still very much in the jungle. And, uh, but even still, I find myself being like, okay, I know that this evil game is going to put a trap right by the door leading out to the next floor, mm-hmm. so I'm going to time this, and And I think that that's something that's really beautiful about this game is the fact that it has that, you know, you compared it to Dark Souls earlier, Chris, like that Dark Souls, like, 
I'm going to get better and learn. But I think what I think makes this a little bit more palatable than maybe Dark Souls would as a whole for a lot of people is the fact that you're instantly back. You don't have to wait through like the 20 minute item lore and going back to the area where you got your ass kicked. Like you just get right back into it. Kind of like Celeste almost where you're just like, yeah, okay, I'm going to fall off a million times, but I know it's going to be like instantly back. I can instantly try again. When the game is a stadium, right? Like yeah. that that's what you're playing. You're playing the, the Spelunky Stadium and you play it over and over again. Or like Dark Souls is like, oh, you, you're working your way through an adventure. And then yeah. when you have to restart, it's like, well, oh, I just lost progress in my, my adventure. Like right, it, it yeah. feels very different to me. Also, I just want to say I love um, the what you said about I'm in the jungle. Like just as I got through this, I got to the jungle. It it feels to me like somebody being like, I was looking at a rainbow, and just after I got to red, I got to orange, and that was too much. It's <laughs> 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 enough different colors. <laughs> so much left. Um, too much. No, I, UV. I, I know exactly what you what you mean. That's how I felt. One one day, hopefully, you will reach the the ice stage. Mm. And it will, ruin your life because it's such a departure from that and and then you'll find out that that is still i guess three ace of the entire game that right. you'll see yeah like, just it's about just and most people will never even know that the entire half of the game even exists like yeah i don't know yeah there, there, um is, uh... i i've been in the process of um i wanted to finish it for the episode but i, I couldn't in time just because i'm moving and stuff but uh i got about halfway through a reread of the Spelunky book by Derek Yu, where oh, yeah. he uh, just kind of talks at length uh, about the making of the game. And on the back of the book, it even is like, in case you're wondering what it means to make a perfect video game, like, I guess this is what I did <laughs> to accomplish that. Um, and, and he talks at length for a while about the difficulty spike specifically in that the mines are supposed to be difficult and the jungle is supposed to be like literally twice as hard as the mines were. You get to the ice level and it's actually technically a little bit easier it's daunting as all hell because literally the floor is not under you anymore. They pull the floor out from under you. And, and some of the stuff that gets introduced just visually is very incongruous with what you've been experiencing before. <laughs> you already thought that the jungle was shocking. And on Vita, it runs at like 10 frames per second. Yes. So it's, it's especially <laughs> yeah, nice. True. And then you get to the last one, which is probably as hard as the jungle, maybe if not more. So like it really is a, a daunting experience. But the but the difficulty curve is, is less of kind of a, a, a steep climb and more of kind of like a dip roller coaster situation. So I would say personally of the four, I find the jungle to be the hardest at this point. The problem with making it to the temple, which is the last one over and over again, is that it's just very hard to get there. So it'll be harder to learn the ins and outs of the temple. But I feel like once you do, it becomes a little bit easier to get by. And you're so overpowered by the time you get to the temple. Yes. Usually it's like yes. you have a jetpack or you have a pickaxe or you have so many bombs that it doesn't matter. And you just burrow to the end. And if you're, if you're if you're really just determined to beat the game, yeah. Um, but again, it incentivizes you eventually to think about not beating the game, yeah. Um, or not beating the game as you would expect to beat the game, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. One thing that I appreciate is so. Uh, I've gotten to the point where I unlocked the character who can create shortcuts for you. So like now yes. when I load a new save, I can either go into floor one of the mines or I can go a little bit left and I can go straight to the jungle. Uh, what I quickly learned was that going straight into the jungle with no equipment, no money is ill-advised. So like yes. even though, uh, but I, I still appreciate the choice. 
choice because it's like, okay, do I want to start from scratch and really make this my best run to get as far as possible? In which case I'll start from for one of the mines so I can like, you know, get some resources and get some items and feel a little bit more equipped. Um, or if I just want to like see more of the game, I don't have to go through the same thing again. I think it's like a really nice option to have. But yeah, I was trying to just brute force to the ice cavern, like I said, and I was like, I need more money because I keep, I, I discovered the black market and I was like, this all looks dope. I can't buy anything. I'm just going to yeah. kill a scorpion and get out of here. Um, yeah. So no, you're you're in my favorite. I mean, you're you're just having the the experience that I crave, and why I'm so so looking forward to Spelunky too. Yeah. Because a thing that I discovered through Spelunky <clears throat> that I love about video games and specifically uh, Spelunky is the opportunity to learn a new language. Like that's that's really what happens when you play Spelunky. Yeah. That is what the game is. Spelunky is a visual language, an entire a language without words, and you have to learn how to read it. And over time, the more you play, you have to learn how to read it very quickly. And when I say like a language, I mean things like if you see that very fundamental uh, a little I guess it's like a dragon statue face mm-hmm. it will spit an arrow if you you know pass in front of it or if you see a plant with a mouth it will eat you if you land on it um, or if you take this statue it will release a giant boulder that will destroy most of the environment discovering how effectively the game works how the language of it works and learning how to navigate it very 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 quickly because that's what will happen after you played forever have yeah. that muscle memory and you can see see the matrix i guess um <laughs> you can blast through that first set of stages in like a second i yeah. mean it is it is wild how fast you can blast through that game and that that's really the pleasure for me and why yeah it, it's sadly the game is wonderful and i still play it like an addict but you can never get that part back each 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 thing you learn is is a new thing taken from you wow. in a weird yeah. way. Oh god! Um, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> terrible when you put it like that. But but that's also why I think Splunky is the, the, probably the best game ever because what Derek you did with it was adding all these other things, all of the hidden levels, all of the new things to discover. Knowing, I I, I assume on some level that that is why people enjoy it that they like that that discovering all these new uh languages within the game and knowing that people will want to find that out as time goes on i mean it it's wild that he it and i think in a lot of ways (laughs) kind of accidentally or maybe intentionally predicted the world that we live in now where games just get updated like Fortnite, where it's like oh Hmm. you like this and now here's this twist that's yeah. just tucked away in this corner. Yeah. Um, in a weird way, he made a game that, like, just naturally people discovered all of those things, which is a choice. Like, that's bold. When he made Spunky HD, posting stuff on YouTube and Twitch wasn't super common just yet. Yeah. Um, so assuming that people would work together to figure out the eggplant run, right. which is a real thing. Um, read about it on polygon.com. There it is. There's a plug. <laughs> yeah, I, I just think that, like, wow, that takes guts. Like, he's yeah, a designer. Totally. It's a lot of work for, for potentially zero reward. Yeah, it absolutely does. Yeah, the rereading the book, I mean, the first couple chapters are specifically just, like, idea generation and where this game came from. And, and after he had finished his previous game, like, what he was kind of up to and noodling around trying to figure out some other stuff. And he was, like, really sure that he wanted to do some rogue stuff or some roguelike stuff, I guess. I should say. But uh, he he was also extremely into the idea of making a platform. 
platformer and at one point had like a really solid like kind of a rogue idea with some great level generation stuff and he had a really solid platformer and then eventually was like oh why don't these two things just get put together I guess and like kind of happened upon the thing um, which is when you eventually get to um, I, th- I think Game Maker's Toolkit just put out a great video on this like this week and if if that's true I'll link it in the show notes but I've watched a lot of video essays recently but it's about the game designing itself essentially it's it's about like at a certain point the game started telling him what it needed next um, and, yeah. and the biggest thing in that or the biggest hurdle to get over there was the idea that the player characters, all of the items and all the enemies needed to be coded as one thing instead of those three things being separate in the code and all of them behaving differently. All of those things have to behave exactly the same, which is why you can pick up an enemy when it's dead and throw it in front of the, uh, in front of the dragon arrow shooting thing. And that'll set off the trap. Um, that's why when you throw a bomb or, or a rope in front of the dragon shooting thing, it'll set off the trap as well. And that I think is where like really some of the brilliant, comes in and that's why you see this game rippling out into so many others right like Binding of Isaac is a game that I already referenced but like one of the best things about that game and the thing that got me sucked into it was the idea that every item I was picking up in Binding of Isaac could interact with every other item in like a totally unexpected way and there are hundreds of items in that game which is why every run is like completely bananas and weirdly enough Spelunky taking all of that and distilling that down into like the 20 items that are there also is equally thrilling uh, because the way they interact is so wild and so interesting um, that it really does make every run feel I don't you feel like you could do anything for about 45 seconds you know Uh, (laughs) when you get the jetpack it's like oh my god finally I'm gonna be able to beat this thing and then when you don't but you make it further than you've ever gotten before that's like one of those runs that will stick in the front of your fucking head forever you know Um, and, and that that is the thing that I think is like so brilliant about this game and that's I think that's why it's been rippling out forever and and people constantly refer to Spelunky as as a, a huge source of inspiration. I mean, Chris, you reviewed the game at Polygon, gave it a 10 out of 10 when you still had scores there, um, which thank you for getting rid terrible of scores. time. No, no, thank you. Thank you for getting rid of scores. Um, but anyway, I do what I can. You gave it a 10 out of 10. I'm just wondering, like having having reviewed that game when it dropped and now being editor in chief of a big video game website and seeing and playing and hearing a ton of stuff like how much much of Spelunky are you seeing in stuff that's still coming out these days? I imagine it's a lot, but just out of curiosity. Honestly, not not as much as I, I would think. I, I feel like I saw a ton for a while, right? Mm. Like there was like the yeah. indie roguelike boom. And now I think of that boom as like, shooters like I, I i don't know how many shooters that are trying to i, I don't mean this I, I sound like i'm being rude but like they have like a quick aesthetic and yeah. they have a roguelike energy and they're they're playing with those things it just feels like that became a thing for a mm. moment i mean they're not bad they're actually quite good but that that seems to have been where a lot of that energy went and now i guess we're entering the like generational divide phase where now we're getting rogue legacy 2 now we're getting spelunky 2 uh, we got into the breach from from the FTL squad. Like we're we're starting to see kind of the uh, originals of of this space coming up with whatever they have next. So I see that. I don't see a lot of it in I guess the mainstream. The the thing that I I would reference, which just rules. Um, and nobody else likes because <laughs> a lot of people have bad taste. Um, it is true. Which is like fine, yeah. like cool, good for them. That that's yeah. fine. But Prey, Mooncrash, 
you play yeah. this? I didn't yeah. play. I, I am making my way through Prey at the moment. Uh, I had okay. to. I had to box up my Xbox One. But yeah, oh, no. I, I know. I know about. Well, no, I'm just moving, so I have, it has to go somewhere else. But um, <laughs> <It's> <laughs> time now. <laughs> I'm, yeah, I'm gonna shoot an arrow at it, uh, and it's gonna light on fire as it goes down the river. Um, anyway. <laughs> Um, uh, Mooncrash is is a roguelike built into Prey, correct? So, yeah, so they released this DLC that is effectively like Bioshock slash Prey meets roguelike, and it's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. I can't believe how good it is and yeah. how brilliant it is. And you can unlock, it, it, it does do the thing which I normally don't like. You can unlock, unlock different classes and you can kind of like upgrade tree them. But it's just wild. It's playing with the ideas of a big glossy triple a narrative game with a roguelike format yeah and i don't know how they got the budget for it i don't know how <laughs> it happened um yeah. they're out of austin and i definitely have never met anybody there but i i i think anybody who happens to work there off of my gut had like a hell of a time making it and it just sounds like it was one of those things where maybe bethesda was looking the other way their publisher yeah and they just got to make something amazing and like that just doesn't seem to happen a lot in the industry. Yeah, totally. Um, yeah, and, and I just, I'm obsessed with it. If, if you ask me, like, what are the games of this generation that I think are important, it would easily be in my, like, top 10, top 5, maybe. Yeah. Um, just because it, it defies logic. It, it It's a rare taste of a universe we're never going to get, which is really sad, but also kind of beautiful that it, like, that it existed at all. That for a very short moment, these people who are making um, immersive sims, who I God knows if we'll ever see an immersive sim again after Dishonored 2 sales and Prey sales, yeah, had yeah. the opportunity to just make something and they created, they took this formula that had become so popular in indie games and they gave it the big budget experience. Um, yeah. So yeah, I, I strongly recommend if people are looking for something that you will never, ever, 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 ever get again from AAA games <laughs> to check this out. The great thing is you can get it for like four bucks usually because Prey is just perpetually on sale. Yeah, on, until on very Steam. recently it was on Game Pass, um, which is where, yeah. where I had to stop my playthrough short so I could then buy it again and continue mm. my playthrough uh, when they removed it from Game Pass, which is a thing that does happen. We talk about Game Pass yeah. a lot on this show. We never talk about the games that leave Game Pass, uh, which is which is a bummer. But uh, anyway, yeah, yeah. Prey, uh, Prey rips that that opening it in does. that game. Steven, one day you're going to have to play the open, at least the opening of Prey, just so we can talk yes, about it, because I will. Oh, another plug, uh, no clip on YouTube. Did you have you recommended this already? Um, I've, I've watched it before, but yeah. OK, so no, no clip on YouTube. Uh, great documentary YouTube. Yeah. channel they just made a, a video on effectively how the opening of prey was created <laughs> and oh, wow. people should no watch way. it it's so good yes That's it awesome. is like one it's one of the best openings of a video game of this generation and two it's so cool again to get that kind of rare look at hey these people were really just given the opportunity to do whatever the hell they wanted because bethesda needed a game called prey to get shipped yeah um, because of a whole bunch of backstory that we don't need to put on your podcast pour <laughs> the shit out of people <laughs> well i imagine um i imagine that'll be a no clip doc right if they're if they're working with arcane i don't think it will because oh. bethesda's in perpetual uh litigious nature with all of its uh, outside studio yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. big yikes. Well, maybe not then. Anyway, um, Prey Mooncrash, another roguelike that is 
<laughs> that is a triple A one. I actually, I would love to see that kind of thing show up more in triple A, but I, I kind of agree with you. It does seem like something, um, not to turn this into another Game Pass hour with Steven and Brendan and now Chris Plant, but I, I do see the like shorter game experience via all of the studios that Microsoft acquired potentially being or lending itself to a roguelike kind of thing, right? Like that, that would be so perfect for Game Pass in the same way, you know, a 10 episode series would be great for Netflix, uh, I, I think you know, something that they could keep on Game Pass forever that is technically infinitely replayable like a Spelunky um, just feels like so... Ugh, I, I want that to happen now that I'm saying it out loud. Anyway, do we have any more thoughts about Spelunky before we move on? I mean, I have a ton, but but we've already been talking for almost an hour. And we have to get into the, the shit because what we're about to talk about next is like, I'm going to ruin people's day. Like, I am ready for it. Yeah. I mean, uh, last time we talked about this game in detail, I started crying like on air. So that's the energy I'll be bringing to the table. Uh, I love it. I'm so right yeah. there with you. I yeah. think uh, why don't we take a break then and we'll we'll get into uh, the next segment, which will be near Automata uh, and it will okay. be spoiler free for the Woo-hoo! first part. Uh, I did it. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Just to wrap up Spelunky, uh, one of the best games of all time, maybe the best game of all time uh, in Steven and my top five games of the decade. Um, yes. Cool. All right. Let's take a break. And when we come back near Automata. Welcome back to the podcast. Um, we're going to talk about Nier Automata. Um, I, I just actually peeked behind the curtain, whatever. Uh, the three of us have been talking for like 20 straight minutes, I think, trying to avoid talking about Nier Automata. Stephen just called it the looming cloud above the three of us, which it absolutely is. <laughs> uh, I mean, well, I, it's something that means a lot to all yes. of us and, and I think extremely personal ways. And yes. I think we're all excited to share that. But it's a big thing, you know? Yeah, it's a, it's a big ordeal. It's much uh, heavier than, than talking about Spelunky, you know? I mean, like, Spelunky means a lot, but this is like a different yeah. atmosphere yeah and and in this case steven and i are switching spots in that i literally just finished the like the route is the word i'm going to use currently and i want to actually like dig into that a little bit later maybe yes. um sure but, but uh i finished like the final canonical route of near automata yesterday route uh, and e. i yes route e yes. um and i have had about 24 hours now to like just kind of Deal think about it. it and let it set in <laughs> and just be like real sad and then also like try and do my normal job at work throughout the day while also thinking about near which like real difficult you Um, should be able to legally call off once you complete (laughs) i think I think every employer should be like, oh, you just be near. Take a week, man. Whatever you need. Drop down menu of your like HR. Yeah. Thing where it's like, Why are you taking off? Oh, yeah. you finished near. Oh, oh shit, wow. man. Okay. This is act- your time off will be route F. <laughs> You're going to find the real ending in this time alone. <laughs> yeah. They're actually like, uh, do you mean near replicant or gestalt? And you're like, I'm an automata. And they're like, okay, noob. <laughs> oh, wow. Thanks, HR. Oh my god. Also worth noting that this section will be spoiler free for near automata. So we'll oh, get I'm gonna, into I'm like gonna ruin the hell out of Jack and Dodge <laughs> one, two, and three and new replicant and gestalt. So I hope you're ready. Yeah. Buckle up, dear listener. Uh, um we we are I, going to get into spoilers for Near Automata, it's worth noting, but we just wanted to, in case you have not played the game, I think like at least do like a top level pitch like, hey, you should probably play this fucking game because yeah. whoa. I guess um I guess I'll go first, if that's okay with you too. In Please. Terms of my 
my experience with it. So I I picked up near pretty early into us starting the show. So I yeah. think that when we started doing the show together, I had this renewed sense of of going into games as blind as possible. You know, which is kind of hard to do because like, you know, there's there's the there's the price point of entry and like there there's sort of this I think for for my time before the show, I had like a handful of like RPGs and series that I trusted enough that when the new one came out, I would get. And that was like with with glowing exceptions, I would stick to what I knew. Um, and doing the show really kind of I, I I'm seeing the blindfolds the characters are wearing. I'm trying not to make the metaphor too direct, but I I just wanted to experience stuff that I had no kind of prior knowledge of and really had that fresh experience. So near. I knew almost nothing about. I, I knew that it was like good, and I'd seen the design of it, and mm. I had some friends who really liked it. Uh, in your automata, um, okay, okay. I was like near <laughs> people have different opinions. So this is like 2018 when we started the show. So it had been like a year since near automata came out. Um, and it was on sale for like nothing. So I picked it up kind of on a whim and was kind of immediately pulled in. I, I really, I, I didn't know, I knew, I was kind of going in prepared for like a Square Enix JRPG. So like right away, it immediately is not that. Like it starts <laughs> off as Star Fox basically, and then it becomes like Bayonetta in a way. Obviously, Platinum Games helped develop it. So it has that DNA. But uh, I, I loved it right away. And basically, the more I played, the more I was pulled in. And by the end, it was easily one of my favorite games, maybe of all time. Um, we talked about it, you know, in our Game of the Year episode for 2018. Even though it was 2017, I kind of mentioned that, like, even though this isn't from this year, this is the game I played this year that, like, stood with me the most. And when we did our Games of the Decade episode, which was kind of like we recorded it an episode for each year, we got to 2017. Nier was one of the one of the handful of games I highlighted from the decade that, like, really resonated with me. Yeah, we saved it for last. That was, like, a pretty solid year of video games, and that was the last one we talked about um, because we both knew that it was going to be like a real heavy experience to bring up near, especially like eight hours into a 10 hour recording. I thought it was beautiful. I think that without getting into the details that we'll probably get into in the next segment, I think that by the end it fully utilizes how you can tell a story in a video game to like the fullest emotional extent. I I think I described it in an early episode as like constantly one-upping itself. Like there are so many kind of heavily orchestrated set pieces and environments and it's a kind of game where for those unfamiliar it's mostly like a hack and slash action rpg but often the camera will just kind of zoom out or zoom in or maybe do a bird's eye view and maybe you're in a a vehicle or mech of some kind and just by changing the camera it changes the entire genre of the game itself so like for for a lot of the kind of heavily scripted like main plot beat moments it feels like this kind of like dance almost of like game genres that are all like kind of building on top of themselves uh in a weird way like we talk about Splunky being a language this is not about like player discovery as much as it's the game just unfolding itself to you as an experience and i think that as the game you know plays around with the camera and changes genre of action you also without spoiling end up seeing a lot of different narrative perspectives as well and by the end it zooms out as much as you can zoom out on a piece of fictional media and the relationship between like a player and a game is like really 
kind of like examined in a way that I think is beautiful. So like, I think that this game uh, does have a lot of meta elements in that way that I've, I've gone on record saying like when games are meta, it can go wildly in one way or the other. I think it can, it can come <laughs> yeah. off, a, come off as a defense sometimes where it's like, <laughs> this part stinks. It's like, okay, well it does. It doesn't make it better. Or <laughs> it can like, it can be something like this. Or I often point to undertale where it's like the core plot, like the, the meat and, and bones of this game is, already good the fact that it's choosing to also do this like elevated experience on top of that is just taking it up to the next level so I, I I found it to be incredible and like uh, this whole show is us talking about games we love but this is one that like I struggle with uh, explaining why without just like breaking down emotionally so <laughs> that's that's where I'm coming from it's recent and I also will mention because I know you'll probably get into this Chris I have no prior experience with, with the rest of the Yoko Taro library so this is my first and only Yoko Taro game oh wow so that's, <laughs> that's my that's my angle it's my beat that's okay I'm gonna, I'm gonna take, I, I, I've, I've jotted down notes from yeah. now deleted YouTube page to, to help us through uh, the the story up until near Automata because I think it's worth going over because I think it, it yeah. gets at something. I will um, say real quick, I do know like I do know the gist of like Dragon Guard and Near, but like I'm sure you will go into further detail with that. Uh, we'll see. Um, but, but I think <laughs> okay. I, I was trying to like add a small thing to your yeah. point about metagames, because I agree like uh there's like duke hazard or something this is a game starring neil patrick harris that was like the ultimate cool triple a metal game um that was very meta uh back in the day and i think the things that you mentioned with undertale and near are, are are very different in that i don't even think of them as meta games i think of them as like acts of criticism like they're video mm-hmm. games that's like unquestionable they're very good video games but they also are critiques of, of video games and i don't mean that in like yeah. the very highbrow sense of like well if you look like if you look at it this way there's a there's a critique buried here it's like no yeah. quite literally these games are not subtle about it uh they are critiques of player choice and of how a game ends and what it means to just kill things over and over again and what it means for a game to be basic i think like uh, an issue a lot of people have with this game the first time they play it because again there are, are multiple routes people call them endings and it's like such a huge thing that i think this set this game back because people think like oh i have to beat the game five times that sounds terrible and it's like no you have to beat the game once and you have to kind of beat it again somewhat a second time yeah and then it's just totally different every time after that but the game <sighs> The, the first time you play it through feels very um, not of this generation in a lot of ways. Like the, the world is very empty and um, there's mm-hmm. like boxes in places and you collect items from them. It's very much aware of its video gameness. And I feel like a lot of this generation, especially in the like America, has been like, we have to hide that. We can't let you know this is a video game. We're not going to have mm-hmm. an item thing pop up on screen. And I think this game kind of relishes in that. It, it relishes in its gaminess. The, the fact that you can remove the UI to get more space to like upgrade your character. It, it yeah. needs to be a v- capital V, capital G video game for its message to work, for its critique to work. But again, like that's that's a challenge because that assumes that people are going to make it far enough in, in the game <laughs> to be cool yeah. with what it's doing, to, to yeah. realize that the things that are, quote, bad or old 
are holistically part of, of what makes the game special. I just had a memory of um, it was like half an interview and half like a video series of like Yokotaro and Platinum working on this game. And of course, he's always wearing his mask. Uh, oh, yeah. And there's a shot of him in an arcade, just him. And he's playing on a pinball machine. And in the video series, he says like that he really loves pinball machines because they're like so extravagant and like every little detail, kind of like you said with, with modern day triple A games, it's like every little detail is painted and trying to grab your attention but like no one's really playing these anymore they're kind of abandoned which to me is really like emblematic in the theme park area of near where it's like you're in this area that is like celebrating itself despite the fact that no one is there and the the people that are there are like out of work robots you know so like the whole game kind of feels like an abandoned pinball machine in that way which like disconnected the dots when you said that this game is kind of flaunting the the gamier parts of it yeah yeah no, I think that's a great read. Yeah. Oh, thank you. <laughs> thank you. I was like, yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> I nailed it. Yeah, it was, it was a sick read or whatever. Swish. Um, yeah. Swish. Chris, Chris has had a, an almost threatening aura about the notes that he yeah. has prepared. So I think I'm going to go before he does, just in case. Yes. Um, good, good call. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I picked up uh, Near Automata on PS4 like literally at the end of 2017 because all of the goatee podcasts and articles I had read there was always one per like if it was a if it was a roundtable podcast there was always one person in those roundtables who was like Near Automata is the best game of the year there is no question of that and anything that you tell me will not sway me and hearing that exact sentiment repeated across like every piece of media I was consuming towards the end of 2017 was like the sole reason I ended up picking it up. Um, and I, I played through the first route and started playing the second route and eventually kind of bailed on it um, because I don't really know why. I just put it down and probably moved on to other stuff because like the Switch was out at that point, which was very exciting. That um, was a big year. There, that was Breath of the Wild and like a bunch of other stuff coming out that yeah, year. So, yeah. yeah. So um, I ended up bailing on it and um, it wasn't until we talked about it, you and I, Stephen, because I had mentioned that you would probably like it at one point uh, and you played it and then, <laughs> and then talked about it a lot on this show. And, I became and, that person who was in the room like, this is the best game ever made. No questions. Yeah. yeah. And, I, and I looked in the mirror and realized that, oh, no, I had become the eight other people on the on the podcast um, <laughs> <laughs> who just dunked on it. Um, we just switched places of who's the eight other people. But I knew that I was going to go back to it eventually. And I, I'm really glad that this episode happened. And it gave me the reason to go back and, and finally finish it. And I'm going to be totally honest. Like I said, I finished this game yesterday. So like probably some recency bias here, but I honestly don't think so. I do think Nier is like maybe one of the best games ever made. And, and I've been thinking about it a lot in the context of Spelunky, which I also think is one of the best games ever made, as we just talked about and went very in depth on. But the, the main difference, I think, between those two is that while Spelunky is a game that I think um, is influential and is like a video ass video game um, and has rippled out into a ton of other games that exist uh, and 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 we're seeing its influence far and wide. I feel like Nier Automata is weirdly kind of like solitary and and not a, like I don't know how you would pull an influence from this game. I could see people being influenced by it, but I don't know how we'd be able to read that in another game going forward without it almost yeah. like borrowing things whole cloth in a way that would be, I, I, I think, like Yokotaro as as an 
auteuristic dude and and the way that he's crafted that game is so singular and so his energy pumped into the thing that anything else would kind of be false in a way any influence that would be pulled from this game would would not um would not be the actual vision of the creator making that influenced game if that makes any sense i i am i am so blown away by this thing i'm actually having a hard time even talking about it but like it feels to me like i just like read a dense work i feel exactly the way i felt when we talked about kentucky route zero um i feel exactly the way i felt um which chris i know you did not like this game as much as we did but um i feel exactly the way i felt when we finished last of us 2 and i really need to like take a lot of time to like kind of let that sink in but in this case it's not like last of us 2 so wears its themes on its sleeve throughout the entirety of it you know it is constantly hitting you over the head with what it means um and there are a couple swerves here and there and you can go back and you can listen to our very long bonus episode about that if you want to hear about the twists and turns um, but near automata to me does not have any like twists to it any anything that is framed as a twist in a narrative i think you can kind of see coming from a mile away all it's really doing is pulling the rug out from the protagonists over and over again to just teach you more about the theme all it's doing is hammering the theme home until the very final moment in the very final route which i really think does reframe everything that the game has been teaching you in a new light and 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 although Look, I really want you to play this, dear listener. Although it's going to be a dour experience, by the end of that final route, Route E, I think it is like a wildly optimistic thing. And I'm so glad to like have that idea ingrained in my head forever now. And I'm going to I'm going to stop because Chris looks like he wants to say something. Oh, yeah. No, I, I, I just agree with you. I, I think I think it's a positive game. I, I've I've had this thing during the pandemic where people are like, man, it's a real bummer. You shouldn't watch Plot Against America or Perry Mason. There's a dead baby in that show. And I'm yeah. like... Oh man, I can't watch that. And then I watched it. And I'm like, well, that part sucked, but like everything else is pretty fun. Like swing in LA. Like uh, that's that's exactly what I need. <laughs> yeah. Um. And that's the same thing with near where it, it's a drag at times, it, but <laughs> existentially it's a drag. But yeah, I, I, by the end, I I came away from it just completely rejuvenated. Yeah. And I can't think of many video games that can't think of many pieces of media that give me that. Um. Yeah, it's a gift. Um, yeah. Should I catch you both up on the story? Uh, please, I, I honestly, yes. That's all I have this, to say. Is yes. is there might be a point where, where I'm doing this and you're like, you know what? That's actually enough. And maybe the, our listeners don't want to hear this. I will just say I want to I want to just give you what I am kind of like the, the jar that I'm going to fill these thoughts in, you know, okay. kind of metaphorically. It's <laughs> like... <laughs> To me, it seems like Yokotaro has a kind of esoteric enough sense of humor that his justification of how all these stories connect is almost like, let's see who figures this out. It's almost like a challenge. I think, you know? I think that's a, actually that's a great point going into it. And it, we'll circle back to that after I get through it. Okay, because I, great. I, I think sharing this, I think it gets at something with Nier Automata. Okay, so thing people should know. Nier Automata is a sequel to Nier, which itself was two games. Near Replicant and Gestalt. I believe those were the names. Yeah, one yeah. is the US version. One is the Japanese version. Uh, one takes place uh, significantly earlier because it is about a man and child. And the other ones, he's like an old man. Is, I don't know. It's a, it's, a, it's a lot of stuff. Those games are the sequel to the Drakengard series, which is a trilogy. Okay. And the second game in the Drakengard series takes place in an entirely separate timeline and means nothing. So already off the bat, we're off to a great start. We just got rid of the I don't even think Yoko Taro was involved in that one, right? He wasn't. Correct. He, yeah. Correct. He was not. Cool. And also, I think Drakengard 3 is actually a prequel to Drakengard 1. Okay. Right. <laughs> 
Welcome to hell. Okay? Okay. So here's the great thing. I can actually summarize Drakengard 1, 2, and 3 in an instant. Uh, a whole bunch of stuff happens in, like, a medieval-looking alternate dimension. There's a thing called the Red Eye Disease. There's a flower that turns a woman into a super weapon. She has a flower... Uh, that replaces her eyeball. She goes to a brothel and works with these other women. They fight other other women. A whole bunch of bad stuff happens with this disease. Okay, and there's dragons. Drakengard. Boom, we did it. Drakengard trilogy. And all of the respective novellas and plays and whatever else was around it because there was a lot more. Yeah. So congratulations, everybody. You're now experts on Drakengard. That's like a little thing that I just did for you. Um, Here's my uh, post-historicist read on Zero as a anti-hero. Uh, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> yes, uh, please go thank ahead. Thank you. Oh, wow. So you are, you're, you're keenly aware of Zero, 1, 2, 3, 4, and 5. I did my research. Yeah, I, I, got, I got a little bit of notes. Yeah. You, got, you got a little bit of notes. Um, so you can correct me on this uh, what what matters most is in of course these games had multiple endings in the ending of, of one of these games uh, a, a dragon and a beast queen the beast queens are the bad guys in this scenario they fall through a dimensional tear into a new dimension which happens to be ours ah. and they land in early 2000s then the present shinjuku in tokyo and begin what is called the 612 incident and this dragon and uh, uh and this beast queen which like the beast queen when i describe it think of something that is like the size of like basically the entire city right like it's huge yeah the beast queen is killed is turned into a pillar of effectively salt is shot by a rocket that makes it just crumple all over shinjuku right like great we did it boom except for the particles of this thing gives people white chlorination syndrome Okay. Are you ready for this? I, I yes. think so. I, I, I know. I, I hope everybody took their acid before the show started. <laughs> <laughs> so you get white chlorination syndrome, right? People in uh-huh. Shinjuku suddenly have white chlorination syndrome. People who, who get this, they're turned into effectively themselves a pillar of ash, except for some people aren't. The reason they're not is okay. because when you get white chlorination syndrome, you are put before a god and you are given a choice to become a dead pillar of salt effectively, or a mindless drone that is a tool of the god. You become a, a weapon of it, right? Oh, okay. So now we're in the real headspace. I'm so sorry that I, it, people are like rapidly unsubscribing through the podcast <laughs> as we do this. And I'm only in the beginning, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work through this quickly. Can I admit something? I hate that I knew white chlorination syndrome. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so glad that I'm not the only person on this podcast to be tortured by this. So, okay, we share this burden. So, okay, for, for, for people who are like trying to follow, because I know we're going through a lot here yeah that's what the bonus episodes are all about chris don't worry about it that's that's what we're here to do yeah dra- dragon and god fought uh people now have a pandemic on their hands people J- japan's like we hey we got to put a wall around shinjuku people are like no thank you a celebrity dies and they're like actually yes we got to protect the slums <laughs> okay oh my god let's put a wall around shinjuku they do it while this happens at all the 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 kind of drones that the god created formed the legion the head of it is named the red eye both uh-huh. throwback to dragon guard okay. right some people think it's the protagonist of the original dragon guard who knows nobody nobody knows officially the u.s is like hey you've got a problem japan they bring airstrikes to japan japan's like i don't know if you know what's up but this is not cool yeah <laughs> the japanese government's like go for it just kill those things they bomb Bombing uh, uh, Shinjuku releases the white chlorination syndrome into the air and infects China now. 
Boom! We're up to 2014. Welcome, everybody. We're getting closer and closer to the present every day. You, th you, you thought, surely this couldn't keep going. We're halfway there, baby. Uh, <laughs> So here's here's where we actually get to the part that matters for Near Automata. Now that okay. you've finished Near Automata, this is where this is where you're gonna start being like, oh, I see, I see what they're doing here. Mm -hmm. So we have this problem, right? People have white chlorination syndrome. They get it. They meet a god, and the god says you can either die and turn into salt or turn into a drone. So scientists come up with a great idea. They'll use this particle that's infecting people to split people's bodies and their souls apart. That way, they can effectively like run this thing out, and then at a later point, they can bring bo people's bodies and souls back together once, once everything's safe. And the uh... public is like, no, thank you. That is insane. Like, <laughs> I have away. seen that's Full Metal Alchemist. <laughs> yeah, that's, like, that's like clearly you. a bad idea. You've done a bad. Yeah. Um, so they're like, okay, clearly a bad idea. Uh -huh. We heard you. We are going to instead, because this is definitely going to be much cooler with the public, we're going to contract a bunch of teenagers, because this drug that we've created works best on teens, to fight the legion of these drones. Maybe we'll use some dragon blood. I don't know. I, it's still <laughs> unclear to me. Um, so now they have teens. They Effectively the Halo program. Mm. And their teens, infected with maybe dragon blood, are fighting these uh, drones of their dead uh, friends and family all over the world. Uh, because they blew uh, it up, it's just, it's just spread everywhere. Okay. And here's where we're getting, we're getting into near territory now. I know you thought, like, we're never going to get to near territory. We're getting there, I promise. So now, replicants are created as part of the Gestalt program. Okay? I know. I know. So what happens with a replicant, and, and, and I, I swear this is where we're getting really close. If a soul loses its body, it can take on the form of a replicant now. So now people aren't as freaked out because it's like, well, I, I've had my body and soul separated. What if my body just gets uh, eviscerated? Don't worry. You can just become a replicant, right? Now we're get, uh, getting to the near automata language. Is everybody still with me? Have, have, I, have, oh, I, yeah. have, have I bored you into tedium? No, I'm all in. I My eyes hurt from being as wide as they've been for the past <laughs> long this has been. Okay, so so there's the the, the head of the, the, the Legion, which is these drones. They are, he is killed. His name is Red Eye. He's killed in Jerusalem. We are now in the year 2030. Effectively, they've, they've done it. They've stopped the Legion. Boom, great. But that the, the chlorination syndrome, it's still spreading. So now the scientists are back and they're like, hey, remember that program that we created where we could separate your souls from your bodies? Uh, what if we did that? And people are like, you know what? A pandemic is happening and everybody's dying uh, and being turned into pillars of salt. Let's do it. Let's separate our souls from our body. What could go wrong? So they do it. They're like, great. And they're like, well, what are we going to do to watch over us while all of our souls are separated from our body? Uh... They're like, androids will create a giant army of androids who will okay. watch over us. We'll also create the Grimoire Project, which is just living books. We won't go too deep into that. <laughs> <laughs> So, so yeah, so there's near replicant, near, th th that, th honestly, we, we've effectively now gotten to the story of near one. Right. That's literally everything that just gets us there. Yeah. I, I, I won't get too far into that, but the reason I mentioned all of this, because I think, it, I do think it's all really relevant before we get into spoilers for near Automata, I think it's, it's some important table setting is one the story is stupid and doesn't make any sense and this this is actually is true for near automata 2 despite it being deeply impacting and like i love it i think it's perfect but i think y you got to this without having to read the entire story of near and drakengard 
there's a sense of humor about how like utterly abstract and weird and meaningless this is and it's almost like abstract painting and where it shouldn't work it should be void of meaning it should be stupid we should be laughing at it and yet we find ourselves looking at it in like somehow like a magic eye it just like hits something so much deeper and i, I think, totally agree yeah this this, this obsession that yokotaro has with the disconnect between the body and the soul and purpose and what is human in all these games if you actually say the story out loud it's tedious and boring and i'm sorry that i stated it to everybody but i think it gets to this point it's irrelevant what what matters is the opportunities it gets to say these richer things that it couldn't say without putting that story in place the story does not serve a plot it serves ideas um and it shouldn't work it should be pretentious as all hell but it ends up not being that it ends up being very human and profound and sweet and tender um yeah. And I, yeah, and I, I've never really encountered anything like it. The reason also I, that I shared all the other games is unlike Nier Automata, those games are not fun. They're really yeah. not, not, <laughs> not fun at all. Um, and, and I definitely recommend that you just watch recaps of uh, how they work and what makes them special. So yeah, that is, I'm sorry that I did that to you. No, but that I, was amazing. I, just, I had to share it because it's so weird. I think you're right. I think I think it's super important, right? I mean, like, on 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 the surface level, right? Yokotaro has uh, headed up a bunch of games that all like did not do great critically or really financially, and teaming him up with Platinum was a great move uh, and and created something great, right? Like he is the idea guy behind these incredible mechanics that we got to experience. But outside of that, I, th- I think you're totally right. Like his his constant like attacking at this idea over and over and over again. He finally broke through the other side with this one, you know, and and this ends up not just being you know, uh, I've talked a lot on this show also about how much I love androids who want to be human in like any piece of media. I'm a big fan of Data from Star Trek. I'm a big fan of Vision in Marvel. Uh, this game is not only trying to do that, but does it in a way I've never seen before, which is like rare on its own in any kind of sci-fi. And, and I think that's what makes great sci-fi by itself. But not only that, it's wrapping up into that idea almost all of like human philosophy on the way there, Mm -hmm. which I don't want to get into until we start talking about spoilers. But the fact that it is constantly referencing different philosophers and their ideas and subverting them in interesting ways and then coming out the other end with with a story about nihilism that's optimistic is like difficult to do. That's a hard thing to do. Yeah. Um, But like on on the very surface of all of that is is a video game that has what you might have heard, dear listener, are multiple endings. And I just want to say before we get into spoilers, my like my last minute pitch and maybe you guys can do yours before we also move into spoilers. But my last minute pitch is do not believe that there are multiple endings to this game. There is one ending to this game. There are a lot of different times that the credits will roll and it's all misdirection leading you to the final ending. I, I I truly believe that Nier's routes A through E are one collective story that should be completed as such. Steven's been telling me this over and over again for like <laughs> literally two years at this point, and he's been right the whole time. And I just want to say that Steven should be very proud of himself. <laughs> for I am finally very making proud of me myself. Um, <laughs> I'm proud of myself for knowing what white coronation syndrome was. I'm at time. And, <laughs> thank you, Chris. I, I just think that Nier Automata is like, I will be thinking about this game probably for the rest of my life. Uh, and, and, 
and I think I think it's an important work and I hold it up to like the best books I've ever read and the best movies I've ever seen. Like it really is kind of a, a, a pinnacle of what a video game can be while also, as Chris, you mentioned, like flaunting the fact that it is a video ass game. Uh, and I, I think I think it's so special. And now I I. I see the rest of my time. Thank you. I just want to add real quick that you, you both made such amazing points. Like Chris, you're saying this, this idea of like this, this overarching narrative that connects every game he's ever made being the ultimate like history of near of near automata. And, uh, I think the reason it doesn't come off as pretentious or, or overwhelming in the game, uh, on top of not really being mentioned directly ever. is the <laughs> fact that like, e- even in, even in the story, like, the, 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 the setup, of near automata is that humans are hiding on the moon and they created androids to battle machines that were created by alien invaders and like all even that like everything the whole history of white chlorination syndrome and the alien and and human war all of that even before you're told feels like it already happened you know it's like the story is over and here are yeah. these characters who are all every character in the game, even one of the dozens of, of nameless machines you fight. Every character is trying to give themselves meaning in a world that has denied them that. And even if they look at their own history, it doesn't make any fucking sense. You know, like even if they try to see like what made the world like this, what made the world like this is a joke ending from Drakengard one. Like it's, it doesn't <laughs> yeah. have, you know, like there's no like, yeah. so it really aids. And I think, you, and I'm glad you, I'm glad you went through the whole thing, Chris, because I think that aids this feeling of like Dadaism reality and these characters that are like begging for a single reason yeah. to explain why they're there, which I think matches like existentialism as a whole, you know? Yeah. Well, I, I, I think Dadaism is a perfect phrase for it. I mean, genre form. But yeah. I think it's important to remember if you, as like somebody who's playing this for the first time, Drakengard takes place in an entirely different dimension. And yeah. then in two takes place in a different timeline of that dimension. Near uh, Gestalt and Replicant take place at two different windows of time, but they take place in like long ago. I mean, uh, well, like a thousand weird. years, I think. Long, yeah. long ago in the in the relationship of Near Automata, but far in the future of the world that we're in. And what I think is like so interesting about this and how they don't talk. They, I mean, they really just don't talk about a lot of what happened in the previous games. They're merely echoes of each other, and there's little signs of things that can survive longer than humans, like disease. Is like that. That's history, right? That we don't look back on what happened in ancient Egypt and are like, well, how does that affect what I'm doing today? It's like, yeah. like, yeah, I mean, there are some things like you know, harvest crops. Like that. That's a that's a connection. I guess we can make that. That makes sense. Yeah. But that's that so much how these games engage with each other. they taking place so far apart from each other, they recognize, no, there's no reason for story-wise these things to connect. The only thing that can connect them is is themes and, and the loosest bits of hints of, of what came and what went. Um, yeah. I didn't even bring up Emil, um, who shows right. up in Nier Automata, yeah. and who in a uh, previous game made like 75 million copies of himself to fight an alien war. Um yeah but that is it's worth bringing up emil because he emil and i think devola and popola the two androids yeah. those yeah. are the three characters from the original near game and even then like if you're just playing automata for the first time and you run into those characters like you wouldn't know or need to know that they were in the first game right because yeah. they they have self-contained stories that, yeah. that serve themselves and and have their own act structures within the story of automata that i think I think 
yeah are great emil it makes a little bit sadder to know but but oh yeah everyone else it's it's pretty self-contained but yeah it's uh my final pitch is it's great uh (laughs) i echo brendan you've heard me cry about it it's a good game uh chris do you have anything else to say before we get into spoilers i think we're all antsy for spoilers so but i want to give the floor to you if you have anything else it's a perfect game if if spelunky is a perfect (laughs) game near automata is a perfect game about video games that's what oh, I like that. That's that's the that's the back of the box for the episode. <laughs> we, linked. We, <laughs> we linked the two. Cool. Cool. Hey, dear listener, um, we're going to take a quick break. And when we're uh, on the other side of that break, it's all going to be spoilers from here. So uh, please, please go play Nier Automata and come back and listen to the rest of this. Um, because if you're anything like me, you'll be desperate to hear some shit about this video game <laughs> as soon as you're done playing it. And I'm so glad to be able to join the choir of people singing about it which is a more direct reference than you even know yet (laughs) here's the break hello we're back and we are in the spoiler section for near automata the Square Enix and Platinum Yoko Taro game. Um, I don't even know where to begin talking about this, honestly, um, outside mm. of like, I sure did just finish it yesterday and uh, have like consumed as much media and read as much uh, writing about it as possible. Um, <laughs> and like my brain is just bursting <laughs> with things yeah. I want to talk about. Um, I, I think like chief among them, maybe just at, at the top of it is like very specifically talking about um, the the quote unquote endings and the routes and stuff uh, and, and just saying like on, on a whole, I think the biggest misstep of the whole game, if I had to say there's one thing that I didn't like about it, not that I didn't like about it, but one thing that I would change if I had to play like shitty backseat podcast game designer um mm. is just I, I think the b route being the replaying of the a route with some slight changes like if that was truncated at all i think way more people would finish this game um that I, as much as i love playing as 9s and i really think it's like fascinating once you get into his move set and you start to realize that hacking is his forte and like maybe attacking isn't even worth it at a certain point like you should just be hacking all the time um that's great and once you start hacking into i think it's um simone the the opera singer boss Oh my god. Yeah. Um, that moment in particular is really like the turn for that game for me. If if I had made it to that point, I think on my first playthrough, I would have played through the rest of it if I had made it to that because once you roll up on her and she's essentially a, a proxy for the uh philosopher whose last name I'm forgetting, but second wave feminist philosopher and she's in love with Jean-Paul the robot who is Jean-Paul Sartre who like they actually had a relationship in real life as well. Like if all of that stuff had coalesced in my first playthrough, I would have finished it way back when but I, I i stopped right before then and i absolutely regret doing that but that that i think is like the one bummer of the game it was like oh man am i really just playing through the same game a second time yeah i don't know how you guys feel about that bit in particular just to get the one negative thing out of the way before we yeah. just yeah, eat praise yeah. on it <laughs> i um i think route b uh and and as brendan said like route b is is most of the same beats as route a but you're playing as 9s who for the first part of the game is is like 2b's sidekick i think that that route shines there are key moments in the plot of route a which is like i would say anywhere between 10 and 15 hours like it's not super and that's the thing and this is something that like i think you alluded to earlier chris with talk with calling them routes and not endings because like a to e is like a 20 to 30 hour rpg like it's not like a persona length thing (laughs) so (laughs) i always use that as an example of like what's an 80 hour 
hour RPG. Yeah. Um, yeah, for me, it was 32 hours, my, my most yeah. recent playthrough. of. All um, of and there's side quests and stuff, uh, which we might get into, but I think what you're alluding to is like, well, I, I, my my take on Route B is that it has some of my favorite moments in the game. So I think like, yeah, same. I think it shines the most where there are key moments in Route A where 2B and 9S get split up. And in those moments, I think it's incredible. And I think also the uh, the very, very beginning of Route B is is awesome. I, I kind of wanted to talk a little bit about Route A first, though, which might inform my read on Route B, if you guys don't mind. Unless you yeah, had something to No, really please. Say. Yeah. No, let's do it. Because I think, you know, in, in our in our spoiler-free segment, we ironically call to the ending being the kind of defining moment of this game. Um, and I think that what you share with me, Brendan, is that this game asks a lot of trust in the player, especially in Route B, to know that there's going to be, like, a bigger sucker punch later on. Yeah. Um, because Route A is pretty is pretty good still and it's a self it's a it's it's a self-contained thing in its own right like if this game was just route a it would not be i think a game that you, the three of us would be talking about with such fervor but i think it would still be beloved because the astral chains it would be every other platinum yeah, yeah 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 exactly and 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 when it comes to kind of flaunting the video game e part of it route a is is flaunting uh the game's setting and the game's mechanics and sprinkling and intrigue but never really committing to the bigger ideas but I think it is forecasted, and especially in the very beginning, the first scene in the entire game is uh, you are amongst like eight Yorha ships, and Yorha is the type of android that 2B and 9S are. They're like the elite military uh, android units. They all have like sleek monochromatic outfits. And uh, what's special about the Yorha units is that they can be mass produced. So as long as your black box is intact, which is like your central core soul data your your gestalt if you will it you'll be fine you can die and you'll come back and the very the first thing that happens in the game is is you're piloting the ship as 2b and you're hearing very like star fox audio over the speak like this is 8b i'm here <laughs> and then you know 8b is shot the fuck down real quick yeah. uh and and but that's it for me playing it for the first time and i knew the game was largely about death and about kind of these questions i mean not not to the same extent that i realized later but like the first thing that happens in this game is that people around you are dying independent yeah. of your actions they're getting shot down with major lasers and all this military speak is kind of like conditioning everyone else to not be affected by that so you're that's the first kind of mood that's set emotionally mechanically you're playing galaga then you're playing asteroid and it's like oh shit they're like showing me every arcade game that i know kind <laughs> of like by second nature at this point and then there's that iconic moment where to be jumps out of the ship and then suddenly it's a hack and slash game and i think it introduces her really well uh she starts talking to 9s over their radio and and 9s is immediately kind of like uh more human in his personality he's kind of like trying to get to know her he's like hey i usually work alone this is great and she's like emotions are prohibited you know typical like cloud strife wall put up yeah, yeah. and i think that in that intro you go from this sort of like military ignoring death happening around you 9s trying to reach out to to be as a human but she's like sticking to that protocol and then you fight these giant bosses that are really exciting and really exhilarating and you're getting like a, a taste of what the game is maybe going to be later more consistently and it ends up with with 9s getting injured enough and the two of you getting surrounded by these giant like rusted steel factory Huge. mechs yeah yeah and you feel the scale of it because you're like you know you've just gone from these different perspectives 
perspectives, like being in the air and kind of seeing all these machines is like small things shooting very video gamey spheres at you. But then when you're on the land, the attacks look the same, which I think is very purposeful and really pays off. Yeah. And it ends with 2B goes like very quickly, but organically from not getting to know 9S because it's a professional mission and then like ignoring protocol to save him and really showing her own humanity. It ends with them showing each other their own humanity by sacrificing themselves for each other. So like knowing how the game ends, the intro covers all of yeah, that. Yeah, it's really and, all and of the game in the first. It, it, it plants yeah. the seed that it will further develop. And I think like that to me is still one of my favorite segments of the game. Um, and then it goes to, you know, like you learn it settles down and goes into like RPG chore mode where you're like, go collect these parts. And like, then you're in the open worlds. And that to me is, I think where also (laughs) someone might bounce to the game because like you said, Chris, it's so empty and there's like, yeah, not like a lot to do and they're giving you side quests that are largely kind of tedious yeah but even even that what's so cool about it is mm-hmm. so uh, you mentioned like uh 8s or whatever gets killed at the beginning yeah. right so you you work through this entire kind of like industrial plant where you fight these giant creatures and then you get thrown into this city where you can go and get your missions that are just generic side quest but one of the earlier side quest that you get in this first route is you hear rumors um from a, another android about her mentor and it's like oh i, I need to go yeah. uh find her, her uh, something from her mentor something that she can remember her by because they think her black box was destroyed and you go back to just effectively play through the beginning of the game but just in reverse yeah. And as you're going through it, you start discovering things like the whole game. You can find Android bodies and um, take them, take the materials from them, more or less. But you find a weapon that appears to be maybe your weapon from the last time you died. And suddenly you have this new weapon and then you work your way through the entire factory. And then you find the body of um, of this Android and you hack into its system And you learn from its memory that like, oh, this android knew something about what was going on in this war and how meaningless it it is between the androids and the robots and was planning to go AWOL. And like here, this thing that is like, yes, the beginning of every 1980s arcade shmup where it's like, oh, no, fight a pilot three, the down, (laughs) somebody tell the kids Um, is like, oh, no, that that person had like uh, an internal life and is like really wrecked by something that later in the game will pay off huge. I mean, I think that's the first time you really get a hint of what's really going on in this game. Totally. Um, And it's all tied to, again, this like disposable character in any other video game and you have to find their body. Yeah, I mean, again, when I talk about it as a critique of video games, like that to me is that perfect example of, Mm. hey, uh, (laughs) in the most like Peter Molyneux way, like, what if you had to find out what happened to the other ship who died in Galaga? It's like, oh, no, it's actually super sad. Uh, (laughs) Like it's taking things you would do by second nature in a a different game, but actually add the appropriate emotional weight to it. Right. You know? Um, Yeah. I think, I mean, for me playing throughout A the first time, those moments definitely stood out. And there's also, I think, a similar... Similar side quest early on where there are two Yorha deserters. There are two androids that like left and you have to find them. Mm. And then you kill them and your pod's like mission complete. And 9S is like, whoa, that sucked. Like, yeah. I can't believe like we we have 
dehumanize machines enough that we don't feel guilt but like that was one of us that was an android and and i think that's the other really brilliant thing about the game is like to the player we know they're all robots already so like there's this kind of immediate irony that one thinks of themselves as more human than the other just because of how they appear um right Right. it it skirts it skirts around the hotline miami bioshock like even last of us part two situation where it's like you kill this person don't you feel bad about killing this person or in hotline miami's case it's like oh do you like killing these you know Right. By, by making it all androids and machines, you don't even have to ask that question at any point. It just is about the, the verb to kill, not about what yes. you're killing, which I think is where it gets really interesting. Yeah. And, and it's allowed to be, I don't even know, funny is the right word, but it, it's so abstracted that it doesn't. I know that you'll love Last of Us 2. I don't want to dunk on it too much. <laughs> no, it's OK. <laughs> no, honestly, it's fine. But what I, I, I love, uh, again, talking about early in the game there's a scene where you come across a bunch of these robots who are i mean just these cute little pills like kind of fall guysy yeah. in nature who um, <laughs> don't really yeah. even want to attack you and you come across a mass orgy of them and they're like in rocking babies and it's just like yeah. oh they they think that they can make more like they 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 that you're experiencing this deeply human sensation not just of yeah. procreation but of like love and of parenthood and then you slaughter them all yeah. um and while you're slaughtering them they're like no please sorry and and i think um Nines is like hey uh that's weird <laughs> like yeah Nines gives me like they're just saying random words and they're like please stop hitting me to be you're like this is not random yeah. <laughs> they're, they're feeling stuff and i i think like it gets away with a lot of things that i don't like in games like um last of us 2 or, or spec ups the line where it, it, it's so ridiculous right. that I, that I'm like, oh my, like, I don't know. It, it, it allows that, that part of my brain that gets like, I guess, judgy about it or, or feels like it's too on the nose to kind of disarm itself. Yeah. Uh, the, the closest comparison, sorry, this is such a tangent. I'll make it really quick. But it, it reminds me of The Leftovers, which is a show that I love. And The Leftovers season one is very heavy and dark and yeah. hard to watch. And then The Leftovers season two and three has like sequences where um, the main character goes into a uh, dream world and can only enter a government facility by putting his giant penis on a penis reader machine. And like once you get to that point, it's like, oh, wait, I am so disoriented. That, yes, <laughs> yeah. you can 100% hit me this with, with this profound story about what it means to like live and die. Yeah. Because it's just enough to, like, knock me off balance. I agree. I mean, I think, like, that moment you just spoke of where they're having an orgy and and that actually leads to them giving birth to Adam and Eve. Right. The two, like, main antagonists in the beginning. That's the moment where I realized this game was was wildly different. Because, like, up until then, they're setting up the, like, ow, don't hit me. And I'm like, okay, are we the bad guys and the machines are innocent or whatever? Yeah. And then it's, like, not it's not that clear cut. It's just, like, they are trying to... Like you said, find meaning, find what it means to be human. And and in this moment, they're exploring birth and sex and all this stuff. And but I think that sense of humor and, and the achievement you get when you kill Adam for the first time says it's a beautiful baby boy. I'll yeah. never, like, I, I just watched that and I was like, what the fuck just happened? And I got that <laughs> achievement. Yeah. But it had the same. And I honestly, even though Brendan and I really liked Last of Us 2 by the end of it, like there are parts of that game that are trying to do a similar thing that don't work for me, namely the like they got 
Scott Duncan, you know, or whatever, like, where they shout out a name. Because, like, that's a, that's a moment where the game is like, take this moment very seriously, rather than, like, here's a moment that happened, interpret it in whatever way you want, and we're just giving you, like, pieces to experience. Yeah. If that yeah. makes sense. Yeah. Sorry, I, I feel like I'm talking too much. But I, no, please. I, not at all. You're the, you're the guest on the podcast, Chris. It's okay. <laughs> the, the thing you said of like in this moment they're learning about uh sex and love and parenthood i think is is spot on because throughout the rest of the game you do have these other moments where you come across the robots and there's another uh period where they're like effectively have created castles and yeah. created like kingdoms and and social hierarchies yeah and Again, I think the thing that this game benefits from, uh, obviously there are a lot of robots who are philosophers, is that it doesn't have to rely on these people in this moment, in this period of about three months, represent humanity. Do you get it? It's like, mm-hmm. oh, well, no, actually, these robots are discovering humanity. So, like, we yeah. are able to see, we're able to reflect on all these things because these robots are, I guess, kind of just, like, palming their way through it, trying trying yeah. to figure it out. And that, that, to me, that scope, I think, is what I appreciate so much about Yoko Taro's stuff. Again, it's like, it doesn't make sense, but that's okay because the scope itself lets it lets it get at things that are so big that if you do try to make it fit neatly in a here's a domestic drama in which these people all represent the larger ills of humanity it just doesn't work as well for me yeah that's kind of what i was alluding to earlier um in pre-spoilers talking about like i i don't think that this game has twists so much as it is just pulling the rug out from under the protagonist to make the the themes even clearer saying that you know humanity has been long extinct was not exactly shocking in the moment that they finally revealed that information saying that the aliens were dead also was not very shocking when that information was revealed the thing that actually was shocking to me was that the robots were uh programmed to quote unquote defeat the enemy and without an enemy they started needing to create their own you know and that's where yorha came from and things like that but on top of that they also needed to evolve one of the reasons they they got rid of the aliens in the first place was because the aliens were were static as far as they could tell they weren't upgrading quote unquote as quickly as machines could so they were like oh yeah we're obviously better than these things because the aliens aren't evolving fast enough so let's just get rid of them and let's form our own thing and they they looked to humanity they looked around at the environment that they were stuck in at that point and decided to look at humanity and try every philosophical outlet that humanity had to offer simultaneously and all of them broke from the network to try all of these individually to see which one would allow them to actually progress and become as gods uh you know become something greater uh, <laughs> in a certain sense you know so that's that's where you get the the forest kingdom with uh who i think is led by Immanuel kant who steven and i uh, you you and i just talked about that um his his philosophy recently when we talked about the indie game thing in itself during the um the itchio bundle conversation but like it's literally a, a giant king robot who uh who, who is so kind that everybody else in the kingdom decides that they need to follow him and then when he dies or when his robot shell starts to collapse they're like let's take his brain and put it in a baby uh and eventually he'll grow up into a big strong king again <laughs> and of course he doesn't because he's a robot and he doesn't grow like that and they're all very confused and they're like well he's cute anyway and that's great you know and that's just one and then you have pascal um who is you know uh i, I, I love guess pascal yeah pascal and, and and his pacifist village you know which like is fascinating just from like 
okay, we're going to try and remove ourselves and maybe pacifism is the way forward. Maybe not being part of a war is actually the outlet that will uh, allow us to progress in some way. And very quickly throughout the course of the game, you find out that that's not okay. You can't just go out into the woods and pretend that the rest of the world isn't happening around you. That's that's not an okay way to live your life. And at the end of it, Pascal realizes that he does need to uh, exude some kind of violence on the world to be able to protect the things he loves. I, I think it's really, really fascinating that this game is able to take all of these different ideas and, and contextualize them in a way that like doesn't mean anything as you're playing through it in Route A or B. It doesn't mean it, it, it is completely bonkers throughout the entirety of uh, I would say the first two routes for the most part and and the way that it all wraps itself up in saying these robots these machines are just trying to find meaning and they're doing it the exact way humanity did is fascinating and then on the other end of that you have the androids who created meaning for themselves and are withholding it from the other androids to allow them to continue to have meaning the first thing that happens in this game the very first thing is the game opens up and 2B flies in with the other Yorha units and she says something along lines i'm very much paraphrasing but she says something along the lines of essentially existence is a curse when can we kill our own god pretty much in this game as you mentioned in the pre-spoiler thing steven god's been dead for a long time humanity has been dead for a long time the war is already over it, it persists because everybody has decided that it needs to persist because they don't know what to do in the absence of that um well, and we our power structure is our own god like yes that's i mean you, you kind of kindly danced around it but like yes chubi and 9s's boss effectively is is there like they're they're, yeah. they're knowingly providing them with purpose just because they think it is like a, a worse to not have the right it, yeah. thing to do yeah, yeah exactly yeah no i that that is a, that is a great summary of it um Stephen, you're you're you're, t- you're hinting at digging into the into the pascal story yeah I, please I, do uh, oh yeah i mean so pascal i think serves a very special place in the story because like as you said we're seeing these machines kind of like and it feels like nothing is clicking yet even even the factions and machines that have dedicated themselves to a king or to orgies or to mm-hmm. eating androids which that's really came out of left field uh <laughs> Pascal is is a very uh, important character and and is one who throughout the course of the game uh, is an ally kind of by default. But I think is is the first machine to really act like an android. Like by the time we meet Pascal, we as a player think of Pascal in the same lens we do nine S or two B. We're like, I care about this person. They have a name that's not just like machine with hat. You know, like mm-hmm. it's. <laughs> and I think that's also kind of a critique of games where like there are a lot of RPGs that will name all and. PCs like grumpy man or like man with suit and like it does that with the machines <laughs> yeah um and i guess i'll jump ahead because we're not really we're not beholden to like a b c d here in our discussion yeah uh there's a moment where Pascal in Route C, the the pacifist village he lives in, has become overrun by this logic virus that makes every machine act berserk. And at that point, you're playing as A2, who we might describe later, but she's like in the beginning, kind of like the Vegeta antagonist who becomes the hero <laughs> later on. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of disturbing how often DBZ is like a template in my head. But anyway, <laughs> uh, <laughs> you go to Pascal's village and 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 they're like. I think it's actually there's a scene where Pascal is reading a a, a I can't remember the exact philosopher, but they're reading a book of philosophy and like there's a question posed to them that coincidentally the next day the, the forest is like attacking itself. Yeah, it's Nietzsche. Um, it's Nietzsche. Yeah, yeah it's Nietzsche. And yeah. and then uh, A2 like wipes out the village. It's really heartbreaking because like, you know, you, you become fond of that place over time. And Pascal's like, don't worry, I, I rescued all the children. We're hanging out at the 
abandoned factory. I know in Route A, you went through the abandoned factory and it was full of a suicidal cult screaming, become as gods, but it's fine now. We're safe. We're going to hang out there for a bit. You get there and, and there are the similar kind of Goliath machines from the very beginning of the game coming at you and this is like i i have never uh, i rarely scream fuck yeah out loud by myself while playing a video game but i did (laughs) in this moment where pascal finally abandons like he's like okay this is i know i'm a pacifist but like these kids are all i have left that's my meaning I, i my my life's meaning is being the protector of this village uh so you play as pascal operating a mech and like or just like, you know, Pacific Rim bashing these things out of the way. And it's so triumphant in a very video gamey way. And then you go into the abandoned factory and all the robot, all the machine children have committed suicide. And it's like that, that is one of the most devastating moments I've experienced in a video game. And Pascal specifies, he's like, they destroyed their cores. If they destroyed any other part of themselves, they would be fine. We could bring them back via the network. But the, the cores are like the black boxes, which later are revealed to actually be made of the same material, which is brutal news to 9S in Route D. But uh, <laughs> Pascal, <laughs> Pascal in this moment is like, has lost, because, you know, basically in short, the whole game characters are trying to find meaning. Uh, Route A is to be pretending that she's beholden to her militaristic code. But really, her and INS mean the world to each other. And that's what that route is about, is, is, is them realizing that they are each other's world, which is, you know, why I think that that story reaches a nice end for a very good game that becomes a great game later on. Yeah. But, uh, pa- sorry, I'm going all over the place. It's hard not to with this game. But Pascal, seeing this, asks the player, asks A2, like, I can't live anymore. My, my, my reason for being alive <laughs> has been taken away. I even abandoned my pacifist mantle defending these kids for no reason because they all committed suicide you either need to kill me or delete my memories and this is the story i was saying my roommate walked into my apartment in this exact moment and i was like hey man is your day going i'm like dude i've got a question for you and it's hypothetical what would you do it is it is worth noting in this moment not to not to cut yeah. you off but it is worth noting no, that there, there is a, a heaping layer of guilt in pascal's question there because the last thing pascal did or one of the last things pascal did at that point was teach the children the the concept of fear and anxiety essentially um which not to get too into it again but pascal's wager big philosophical idea that the fear of god is the only reason we have any kind of morality in the first place so kind of a send-up of that i guess in a way but anyway he taught these kids fear and the fear was their undoing the fact that the thing outside was so terrifying that they were so anxious about pascal losing and 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 the the army getting in that they took their own lives it it makes pascal feel as though it was his fault that it happened um, which is yeah. why he's like, I need you to wipe my memory, eternal sunshine of the spotless mind style, and just like <laughs> make me forget that I even did that in the first place. But you can also just walk away. There's actually you can three fail. options. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Did you, is which that I what you did? I did not realize until afterwards because I was in video game mode and then I felt horrible. Yeah. Um, yeah. Just horrible. Um, uh, uh, the, the other thing about this game is uh, so Pascal is also uh, effectively like an RPG store. Like, we'll sell you things after this. Yeah. I believe that's right. Again, it's been a while. Yeah. But if you, if you choose to wipe his memory, he will then sell you a new weapon, which is the heads of the children who killed themselves as, yeah. as like fists. Whoa. And he's like, I don't know. He's like, I was cleaning out the factory and I found these two things. 
seemed like they'd be pretty good for bashing. Oh my god! Yeah, he he defaults to what he was operating for, which is like gather materials, and yeah. uh, which like raises Ugh. the question of what's the more ethical option there. I think I still defaulted to wiping his memory because like the the very end in the final cutscene, there's like a they show him for a second if he's still alive, like looking at the rocket, and like they hint at like maybe one day he'll eventually become the person he was or the machine he was yeah um but i think uh kind of going back to to the order things a little bit like route a to me is largely like a taste of this with the machines you know like a sampler platter of philosophy and 9s yeah. and 2b like growing closer together and, and the minute they really confide in each other 2b has to kill 9s but 9s is secretly backed up his memory in the machines and uh that's how that's how route a ends and then when you get to the end credits you get this subtle message from Square like, hey, play it again. You know, that wasn't it. Yeah. Um, and this is what you were talking to earlier, Brendan, where Route B is like the same beats, but as 9S. But I think the the moments that really stand out are like with Simone, where you're getting like more about why that robot was so obsessed with being beautiful. That was their meaning. You know, they that was their the thing that they attached to. You get a lot more about Adam and Eve, who are the uh, antagonists of Route A, who kind of come off as a little cheesy the first time. But I think in Route B, you get a lot more backstory, which is basically that Adam decided that his obsession, his meaning was to understand humans. And I, I, I mentioned this to you, Brendan, but in, in Route A, when you fight Adam for the first time, it's in the copied city, which is one of my favorite settings in the game it's yeah. so iconic evil apple apple store city cubes <laughs> uh, but uh adam is there and, and he's basically like i've been trying to figure out what what makes humans humans and i realized it's hatred it's the it's the primal desire to kill because you hate something that much and then he's like check it out i crucified 9s and you and to be are like fuck this guy i hate adam i want to kill him and in that exact moment he turns to the camera and goes like yes perfect like a director he's yeah. like i want this to be a good bus fight i want you to kill me yeah um and and what ends up happening is you do that and his brother Eve, who in the flashbacks you get in Route B, really was kind of like 9S. His whole reason for being was just to hang out with his brother. He's robbed of meaning now because he is nothing. So like, uh, which kind of foreshadows, um, if you don't mind jumping ahead a little bit, I think we'll probably get to the last three, unless you guys have anything to say about A and B. Yeah, let's um, keep rolling. Let's keep rolling. The, the Eve state after you kill Adam and his, his, you know, boss fight where he's screaming, why'd you kill my brother and nothing matters anymore and all the stuff that like should be trite, but isn't because of the, because of the impact that like the knowledge of what you did as a player and, and your feeling while doing it in, in route C. Early on, 2B is killed. She's infected by this logic virus and, and, uh, A2, the Vegeta of <laughs> Nier Automata, uh, kills 2B kind of out of mercy and 9S witnesses this and like 9S slowly becomes like Eve was where he, his whole reason for being is robbed. And, yeah. and in those routes, as he plays 9S, he learns the secret of Yorha and that all of this is meaningless and it kind of just like makes him more and more of a villain. Meanwhile, A2 is learning more about the machines and kind of like picking up where 2B left off. We, there's a lot more to talk about in those routes. So I want to yeah, let you guys speak uh, just, a little bit, but I just wanted to set it up. One quick thing. That's kind of what I mean about them constantly pulling the rug out from the protagonist over and over again. It's not just the protagonist are pulling the rug out from under. It's every single entity in this game that thinks it has an idea of what its meaning is, loses that idea of what its meaning is at some point or another. Yeah. Um, and that leaves you... Uh, 
at the end of Route E, where it all does feel completely meaningless. Everybody has died. <laughs> There's pretty much no hope. It's like as low as you could possibly go, which is wild that the the like emotional climax of the game is pretty much the exact endpoint of the thing. Yeah. But I, I think th- I think that's really fascinating, and and I think that's why I think that's why there's so much. Um, philosophy wrapped up in the thing is it's like let's just tackle every single idea we have in here you know (laughs) eastern and western philosophy like let's just zero in on all of it and decimate all of it and what are you left with at the end of that you know and and maybe maybe we could talk about what that is (laughs) if you'd like to sure uh i'll I'll describe and i'd love to hear all of your experiences like having the ending of Rowdy happened the first time, if you don't mind. But uh, basically, the game ends, like Brendan said, you get a variety of different options. It ends with, with 9S and A2 facing off with each other. And A2 is like, 9S, 2B loved you and wanted you to be happy. And he's like, bullshit! You know, and then you fight. Uh, <laughs> sorry, that was so loud. <laughs> um, uh, I will say, too, just real quick, there's the reveal that 2B was 2E. And that's also something that I still don't fully... That's like white chlorination syndrome adjacent I, in terms of like I have since learned sense. you and I talked about this this morning. I've since learned yeah. what that means. Do you know, Chris? To be or not to be. No, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> right, actually, uh, we can circle back to that maybe. But um, so at one point there is a, uh, a side quest that you can do that allows you to find another E model machine. Um, essentially, the E models uh, were undercover Yorha models whose only reason for existence was to wipe out S-models if they learn the truth. Um, S-models being scanners oh. and intelligence gatherers always figure out that humanity yes, is extinct I- and that the war means nothing. So the E-models exist embedded with the uh, with the s models to kill them over and over and over and over and over again so when when 9s is like i have never had a partner before and then later is like my friends call me nines it's like you don't have any friends you just constantly remember to be calling you nines every once in a while before you die and come back again oh wow okay because what confused me was that like every because they cut to like every moment to be has killed 9s which has always been out of mercy so i'm like those were all different scenarios (laughs) where like he was either infected that's the, the frustration of 2B's story yeah. is that she has to kill 9S a bunch of times that actually don't matter because he hasn't figured and, it and out And I think the tragedy is that they imply that he knows as well. And that's something that I did really like was replaying Route B in the very beginning and in, in the intro that I that I talked about when he is like injured with missing a leg on top of one of the mech goliaths. He orders the pod to back up Tsubi's memories. And they're like, should we back up yours too? And he's like, no, it's fine. Don't even bother. Yeah. Like, he kind of knows that, like, he shouldn't. Yeah. Which is really sad. But anyway, you fight. Uh, you can choose to play as A2 or 9S. I'm actually curious. Who did you guys choose first in that moment? I, I picked A2 first. It uh, She was clearly the choice for me because 9S was, like, so kind of out of it He's at that so point. so far gone at that point. Yeah, yeah he, he had kind of completed his arc of just turning into Eve at that point. Um, yeah. That A2 was the only one who had really any kind of clarity. So I, I went with A2 first, and then I, I went back and did the 9S route, um, which I'm very glad I did that way personally i I think it makes a lot of sense and you even i messaged you um right after i I had finished and you asked me who i picked first and i was like oh yeah a2 and you said that that was your favorite ending um in general i think right other than e i think like if the game did end on any of them because like that one like basically a2 is is able to like knock like i think she cuts 9s's arm off and like hacks into his head yeah and is like chill the fuck out dude and like and then makes a heroic sacrifice and it's bittersweet but like 
she saves 9S and um and she and it's worth noting A2 is is one of the prototype androids of Yorha. So like the reason she's kind of a renegade unit, which is forecasted with the Yorha deserter side quest, is that she knows the deal. Like she knows that Yorha is perpetuating a lie to give yeah. people meaning for no reason and that's foreshadowed pretty heavily but like her her whole like team got wiped out she's like the last remaining one so she saves 9s to kind of like honor Tibi's promise one of my favorite lines in the game it's a little bit it's a little bit you know melodramatic but it's when the tower is crumbling and she says like i never realized how beautiful the world could be or something like that mm-hmm. and then it's nice because she is such a jaded character the whole game she's like whatever you know and is like rude yeah. and kind of blunt but like she finds she finds the ability to care about other people in her story while 9s is like burning the world down (laughs) so it's this really different thing but um i also chose a2 first did you did you choose a2 as well chris or did you choose 9s in the first time you saw that i mean a2 and 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 just going off what you're saying I, i i sorry this is like a tangent again but I know I mentioned the leftovers just a moment ago, but I, I think this game just gets at that same thing. It, it's so hard to talk about the back half of these routes because it really yeah. does just use the first route and the second one to some degree to set up that that layer of story so that routes C, D, and, and E, uh, however you want to put it, are just an excuse for ideas. Like it, it's really hard to talk about this as as story at at this point. Yeah. Because yeah. It, it, and by by now, truly, these characters have just become vessels for the ideas that the game is wanting to talk about. Yeah. Um, totally. Which it, I mean, it, it totally works. But yeah, I, I think um, th- this is also the point where. I, I, sorry, I, I know I mentioned the leftovers. The thing that both of them do is there comes a point where you're watching the show and you're like, it completely breaks you down into realizing like, well, this is just the world. Like we, we watch leftovers and it's like 5% of the population disappeared. And it's like, that's yeah. just death each year. Yeah. uh, uh, Oh, okay. Like you know, there there isn't a rhyme or reason to this. And then you're watching it, like you're like, wait, what am I doing? Like, and then through watching it, it it, you find comfort in the lack of meaning. It's the it's the absence or just the knowing that there is no knowing. And and I I think that is that the beauty of the end of this game is like being okay. To just let go. And now, sorry, we've jumped ahead straight to... No, I mean, I think it's time. I think, you know, uh, basically, the what happens is, and I think this is tying to a point I wanted to make, is that, like, the the other characters that are kind of central to, you know, to be in 9S and A2 are the two pods, which start off as, like, utility. They're just, like, there to be, like, proposal, jump when you need to jump. Like, that's, like, all they kind of say. Yeah. yeah. And by the end, they're, like, kind of the Greek choir being, like, what the hell is happening? <laughs> like, yeah. you know, like, there's even a moment where they're kind of, like, DMing pod 042. Please don't let 9S near unit A2. Foreseeable future is unideal or something like that. Yeah. They're like, they used there, to there can't is hang the out. moment where they both gain sentience and they're like prodding each other to see if the other one has also gained sentience, which is yeah, like a really wild moment. They almost yeah. join the audience in that way, and they're and and what ends up happening is you see, and it's worth noting too, route C and D are are basically back to back. It's like you get to that point. Where you choose A2 or 9S. If you choose A2 and you beat 9S, you get the C ending. If you choose, and, and you can load right before the fight. Like once you do that, you unlock a chapter select mode. 
uh, from the game and you load right before the fight and then you choose 9S. The ending is fucking brutal. It's so sad. It's so sad. They both die in like the worst way possible for like 30 minutes. But then I think 9S joins like the machine collective and it's like a text yeah. with Adam and he it's it's really cool, but it's very sad. Yeah, they, they they join an arc, right? The the giant tower in the middle of the in the middle yeah. of the ruined city is actually not a missile going to blow up the moon, quote unquote, <laughs> but is in fact an arc that's supposed to be sending the consciousness of all the machines that have like achieved something beyond yeah. their base level to the moon to join the human consciousness collective in a way. Um, which right. also doesn't exist, unfortunately. But um yeah, it's it's <laughs> very much like um I don't want to say too much because you haven't played it yet, but you and I are going to play it in October. But it's very much like Soma. It, it's it's a, attacking the same themes and concepts as Soma attacks um, with, with uh, the same veracity, which is why I really want you to yeah. play that game, because boy, um, is it like near adjacent for me. So so in terms of uh, once that all happens, the two pods are like proposal. All that was a huge bummer. I don't want <laughs> to settle for that. Uh, <laughs> and and they basically ask the player like they they, <laughs> they they basically say like there needs to be another outcome to this. Like we we've grown fond of these characters. I don't want to settle for any of these endings, any of these routes. And they ask the player if they want to sort of join that sentiment. Yes. And of course, directly, they say yes. directly. They say yeah. they say the word player. They ask you yeah questions yeah and this is i think goes to your earlier point chris of like the critique versus meta where it's like they're literally critiquing the fact that this game can't end happily in a weird way so you you join that and then it turns into a uh once again kind of like a galaga-esque shooter against the end credits in which you're destroying <laughs> the game right yeah you're just you're, 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 you're killing you're the final the god you're pulling the final rug out you are right you're literally destroying the people that made the game yeah and it's not possible to do alone and and every time you die there's kind of a taunting game over screen that's like kind of reminds me of remnant where they would throw a nietzsche quote at you when you die <laughs> it's like, <laughs> yeah you know for real if you like yeah. uh you know like it's foolish to try like it's basically repeating the dour nihilism the whole game has been kind of yes swimming in but you keep saying you keep defying it and then eventually it gets more optimistic and then it asks you if you want help. And then all of a sudden you're joined by real players. And and when you lose, the continue screen is not a nihilistic fight club quote, but it's rather <laughs> someone rooting you on. Yeah. Um and and it, it is it's such a beautiful moment. You're 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 literally being helped by real people to get a hopeful, not a happy ending, a hopeful ending. And once you defeat the credits, it cuts to the pods kind of bringing parts back like they're holding like an arm or a leg or whatever. And and they're discussing this idea that a future is not given, it's taken for oneself. Um, and it implies that there could be a reality where A2 and 9S and 2B are all given their lives back and they can maybe stop repeating this cycle. Um, and I think what makes that ending so beautiful, it's beautiful in its own right. But what makes it beautiful is that you can only get it with the help of real people and you can only get that help if that real person deleted their game. You're prompted at the very end of the game to delete your save file and it really warns you. The pod is like, 
you may be you're going to help someone and you're never going to hear from them. You may actually hate this person. They might suck. Like you might not like them. Do you still want to give up your whole game just to give this person the chance at a happy ending, at a, at a hopeful reality for these characters you've grown to care about? And that to me is beautiful. That to me kind of seals the deal of like the whole game, as we've discussed in great detail, in nonsensical detail, is these characters clawing for meaning. And what ends up happening is they give it to themselves and you give it to yourself. You give up everything for for for, no, for seemingly no reason, but you know that it's the right thing because it gives someone else the same experience. And like that, that is transcendent. I have never and probably never will experience that in another video game. Well, like that's incredible. That's life, right? Like that's parenthood yeah. in a very blunt right. way that is yeah. <laughs> that is just what we do. like you're gonna delete your save file eventually and it's all gonna be meaningless and the the only thing that you can really choose to do is like keep building upwards for whatever comes next and like for yeah. a game to get at that by again i i, I struck I, hey we're bringing it way, way back to spelunky and roguelikes and this idea of um, meaning yeah. and how I, I don't like artificial meaning right like i i really struggle with games where it's it's making me feel more powerful when i haven't earned it right yeah and and this is a game that so often you finish the game and it's like well that was really fun what did i get like what was the point here the game is ending and being like you don't need this anymore like it's over like just delete it just be be cool with that like your experience yeah. is over y y you want to know the best way for these characters to go and have a happy life it's by you not playing the game anymore like yeah that's 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 how it's gonna happen because if you if you keep playing it's just gonna be this thing over and over and over again and like that it rules it's just <laughs> it's the best and i think about like how does this i, I want a sequel to this game but i don't because like yeah it is so distinctly its own thing and whatever Yokotaro makes next i'm sure will be wonderful in its own thing too but uh it it, it really gets at why this and near and dragon guard all have these same weird ideas and they're floating around the same stuff but they can never truly be sequels because like this game doesn't warrant a sequel those games don't warrant sequels they just warrant further exploration of a question that we'll never really answer um yeah yeah it rules Great game. <laughs> Great game. It's a good game. Yeah, I agree. I mean, how how, how often have you seen pieces of media try and tackle like literally what is the meaning of life? <laughs> you know, it, it doesn't it doesn't happen too frequently. And when it does, it generally does not end well, because most things that try and answer that question don't end well. And, and the idea of this game just constantly asking okay what if what if your meaning was this and then killing that and what was your what if your meaning was this and then killing that route as well um and and ending with the idea that meaning is just whatever you create for yourself and maybe meaning yeah. is just other people you know yeah, yeah. it's like or just effort yeah like, that that that's the beauty of the robots right like they yeah. just yeah. try and like, i mean the most the most content characters in it like there's there's a machine you can meet in the forest that his whole vibe is he just helps injured animals and like that's his entire existence and he's one of the more content characters in the entire game yeah he's just devoted himself to that selflessness yeah which i think is really interesting yeah it's it's a it's a beautiful game and and again i'm only 24 hours out from beating it so like there's a lot <laughs> i'm so sorry i think just like still gestating here um and and maybe in a future episode i i, I would like to yeah. talk about it a little bit more but like in two weeks chris and i expect an essay on white chlorination syndrome yes you got it yeah. yes i there, there's one other thing i want to share this is just a, a personal oh anecdote. please it's deeply sad 
So I, I, I apologize, but I think I, people are always like, not people are always like, as if there's like just some crowd bashing at my door and bugging <laughs> Chris, tell us, tell us why you love this game. But I, I, I was talking with somebody recently who um, was going through a lot um, and they, they have been playing uh, Ghost of Tsushima. And like it's the it's the best game I've ever played, and, that, and this is not a game that I particularly care about. It's 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 fine, but he has been going through just I mean just a world of agony, and the thing that I I, I kind of pieced together was that man, it feels so good to play an open world game when you're going through trauma, um, because it gives you a world that you that everything has progress and that you're you're finding order in it and you're and you're taking away the fog of war and finding meaning. And it just kind of in talking to him, I was like, Yeah, that's exactly what happened with me with my favorite game, Near Automata. Because I my wife and I had had a miscarriage right before I played this game. And I was like at the lowest of lows. I mean, truly just that, that dark, dark point. And I played this game and here are like all these, like obviously these tragic ideas of like, what is meaning? What is life? What does it mean to bring life into this, uh, this world? And what does it mean to keep going? And I, I was enjoying the game and I was digesting it and really grappling with the ideas, but I, I never stopped to think about like, oh, wow, this, this is a device to help me process this. Um, so then I, like I had all that and I loved the game and I, I, I did not allow the two to be together. And then years later, a couple, I mean, not years later, a couple years later, I went to a uh, Tokyo game show and, uh, the same time that Tokyo game show was going on, there was a concert that was a live symphony, uh, of the near and near automata, uh, scores. And I, I was like, wow, I have to go to this this thing before TGS starts. It's like the day after I land. I'm totally tired. It's in um, uh, Yokohama Bay, which is like a little bit away from Tokyo. So I, I get on a train and I go there and I get to this concert and I wait to get in. And I get seated and it's like late at night and I'm totally, um, totally dazed. And the music starts and I'm so tired and it's a state of just like, I'm asleep but awake and just sobbing. And like, and, and I, I remember that I was like, man, what a weird experience that was. Like, I remember this concert, but I don't. And it was hallucinatory and I was just wrecked. And here I am like this like weird American white guy just like bawling his eyes out around all these people who like don't know what's wrong with me. Fortunately, it was like a mega nerd concert. So everybody else was having feelings too. But it was only, only like literally this, this past two weeks that it hit me of like that all these things are connected. And that... It transcends whether or not this is a good game. That is what is special about games to me. And what is special about just good art, really, is, you know, people talk about that, like, you know what, where's a video game that made you cry? And it's like, no, what's special about this isn't that it made me cry while I was playing it. It is that it it didn't even make me aware that it was like that it was digging into me and rooting in me and becoming part of me to the point where like years later it would it would still be drilling and mining me for my emotions and then years like a time after that that only then in this like period of just an intense emotional trauma almost like a therapy session that I would be like oh that's what it was like yeah. there it is it's so extremely yeah. obvious but yeah i think that is what is so special to me about this game the game itself is wonderful but like that to me is like the greatest gift a piece of art could ever give to me and i i can think of very few pieces of art that have like that have given me that gift so yeah 
Sorry. Thank you for sharing that. Like, that. Very dark. No, 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 thing. no, 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 no. That, that, that was, I, I'm honored you shared that with us, honestly. Yeah, for that, real. That, that's really meaningful. And I think that kind of goes into the message of like giving yourself meaning is like, like you said, this relationship with art is like, what was your experience with it? Where were you and when were you where, when this happened to you? And, and what does it mean because of that? I, I think that, and, and I think that kind of lends itself too to like art being a little bit more open and less like, kind of uh, it, the the cliche of like show don't tell where it's like it's giving you this imagery and these ideas and like it might ferment at a certain time yeah you know I, I think that that's really kind of amazing yeah I think I think it's an incredibly profound thing and 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 that's what I mean when I when I say that the game is still gestating. I mean, I think I think it is going to take me like a long time to really settle on on what kind of impact this is going to have on my life. But um, one of the darkest points in my life was spent reading Epictetus's um, kind of like tales of stoicism over and over and over again in the back of a tour van while on tour with the band that I was in for a long time until it like settled in and kind of pulled me out of a depression because I was in a very deep existential dread. I was in I was in an existential spiral for a really long time that brought me to a really dark place. And like this game, the reason the thing that I've been kind of dancing around the entire night while talking about this game is like this is this game is an exploration of existentialism in a really great way. And 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 to me was literally looking into a mirror of of like the dark darkest point that I had experienced in my life for a really long time. And and I almost wish that this game had come out then, you know, I, as much as, as I'm uh, grateful to have played it now and to kind of use it as, as a mirror and use it as a reflection of, of where I was at that point. I, I, th- I think it's I think it's beautiful. I, th- I think it's a beautiful thing. And I think it I think that by playing this, a lot of people will have those kinds of experiences. I think people will come out the other end changed, even if slightly, which is the greatest thing you can say about a piece of art. There's nothing better than walking through fucking any art museum and stopping where you are because something strikes you in a way and and it could be a gray square on top of a red square but it might hit you in that exact moment in your life in a way that that will change you forever and and that is i think what what near does and and is a thing that so few games do i mean look this this podcast this podcast exists because steven and i at a certain point started to ask ourselves like after doing lots of test episodes we eventually landed on the thing that we have the most fun doing and the thing that we enjoy doing the most is talking about what we love. The medium is interesting and the medium should be explored in, in, in a place that comes from the heart and not from just what we hate about it, um, which is so frequently, I guess, the conversations that happen. And this, this, as much as we talk about games that we love, there is nothing that I've played that's like this. And there's nothing that will stick with me the way that this has. I, ca- I can't think of another game that I've ever played that I think I'll... I'll, I'll hold to such a high regard for a really long time. It's going to take a long time, I think, for another game like this to come out. Although it could come out tomorrow. It could be on itch.io <laughs> currently. You know, like that's the, yeah. that's the beauty of the medium. Um, that's the thing. I mean, yeah. both for me, like the experience I had that was maybe akin to this was Undertale, which like no coincidence I brought them both up. Yeah, but, like, absolutely. Both those games came out of fucking nowhere. Like <laughs> this game, uh, Nier Automata came out like January 1st, 2017. Like I don't think Sony really believed or Square believed in it really at all, uh, and 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 Undertale was something a guy made overnight. 
like out of nowhere. So like, I think there's also that element too. And that goes into other conversations about like going in with kind of a neutral canvas or like removing uh, expectation and really letting yourself get like overtaken by this piece of media. But I think, I think that the point I keep coming back to is, is the critique aspect. And, and I think that critiquing games alongside this exploration of philosophy is a really like incredible alchemy where like it it gets away with naming a character to be and not feeling trite you know like they named that character to be or not to be and it works that's amazing i mean um, a2 yeah. right yeah same same deal double, double shakespeare yeah i don't, I don't know what <laughs> means kill confirmed um <laughs> the, the, the two things i, I want to share uh before, Please. I, before i go uh one well, I was listening to the episode a while ago uh, when you were talking about CrossCode. Uh, Brendan, you were talking about uh, l- love these types of stories. I was like, oh, good. Like, I am so <laughs> glad that I'm going to be here in the 24 hours in which you are still in shock by the end of the story. <laughs> I, I remember when I, I finished this game and I, I had to get on a plane the next day. And I just was like just staring at the ceiling the entire time being like lost and the woman next to me like are you okay do you want to turn the air on and i was like no no i'm good i'm just losing my mind yeah um but the other thing that uh, that i will share so that i leave you with um a happy thing and i I don't know if i've shared this elsewhere or not but you mentioned you know that idea of seeing you know the red square on the gray square square right that you're in the art gallery and you have this profound moment just a little story that i want to share with you um so i was at e3 a few years ago and after this is when e3 didn't still didn't really have like much quote indie games still doesn't have a lot but it didn't really have any at this point so these indie developers are like we are going to throw a party on the roof of the los angeles um modern art museum which is like right down the hill from the los angeles convention center and we're gonna have all these uh, cool indie games there we got sports friends we got all this other stuff people are gonna come from e3 on the final day they're going to be ready to relax. They're going to want a, a, a free drink. And they're going to play some indie games. How anti-E3. Like, what a blast. Like, cool. Sounds great. So I go there after E3. And, and I'm there. And it's like all the people that you'd expect to see from an indie thing. It kind of feels like GDC. I'm like, well, this is, this is nice. And there are a few, like, people from big development who are there. And it's like, oh, it's nice, 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 nice. And then uh, as the party goes on, a hush falls across the group and it's like whoa what is happening like the entire rooftop has gone quiet and and slowly word comes that shigeru miyamoto is walking down the street toward the museum and people start losing it people are like it's all these my you know the the person who inspired me to get into games like he this person is coming to play my game like I, I i can't believe this is happening and sure enough he like keeps coming and coming and then he turns and it's like okay he, oh my gosh you're like here it comes everybody's like <laughs> getting ready nobody's talking to each other people are making sure that their like stations are ready and he like looks up the stairwell to to the to the roof and then turns right and goes down and does not even know that the party is going on because it turns out that he is a big fan of rothko's and the museum has a Rothko installation. And he's there to see some real art. Video games aren't art, baby. 2020. That's my message. Um, and I have never seen so many people. It was oh like everybody at once 
all of their dads left to get cigarettes and never come back. <laughs> it was unbelievable. Um, and, and I want you all to, to cherish that, um, to know that, you know, there's no joy in the world um, and love is dead and that your idols don't even know you exist. Um, <laughs> wow. Oh, my God. Wow. Incredible. Um, Thank you for that. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Just trying to share well, the really sad gems. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Chris, thank you so much for joining us on this episode of Into the Aether, a low-key <laughs> video game podcast. <laughs> it's been such a joy to have you on the show. Um, really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Where where can people find you, and and where do you, where do you want people to find you? I guess is, is oh, yeah. the question. I mean, you you were already kind enough to to give my 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 shtick. People can first and foremost uh, polygon dot com. It's a website I co-founded, and uh, I'm the editor in chief of it and it's a really cool website that so many wonderfully and talented people uh work at they all has a youtube channel that's really good too you should check it out it's true um if you want something that is not as good as that you're like i don't know what if that but not good um you can, <laughs> you can listen to me uh at the besties it's a podcast that i do with uh the mcelroy brothers who have a bunch of more popular podcasts than that one um uh in my in my pal russ fresh Dick. And if uh, if you're like, hey, you know, what? I want the the best stories from Polygon dot com and the rest of of the internet, but I would rather never sign on to social media. You can follow my newsletter, which is called Post Game. It's postgame dot substack dot com. Uh, and yeah, I, I think that's it. Oh, 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 hey, if you like tabletop games, you should play Quest. It's great. Absolutely. Um, oh, yeah. There, I think I did it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, one one last question before you go. Is there a game that you think people should check out just out of curiosity? Is there something that you have your eye on that you think more people should be playing right now? I mean, um, this is like a cliche answer, but Microsoft Flight Simulator is the first game I've played in like a decade that yes. has blown my mind. It is. <laughs> I, I I played it and um, I found my house in the video game and I oh ran God. outside and I, I showed, I had captured a picture of it, I put it on my phone, and I showed it to my wife, and I was like, oh my god, it's our house, and this is the park that we walk every morning together. And she's like, uh-huh. And I was like, no, it's our, in a, the, the entire world's in the video game. And she's like, oh, okay. And I was like, why is this not cool to, why is everyone not screaming? Why is, why is the news still on? Why didn't they stop doing the news to talk about this? The entire world's in the video game. Yeah. And like, everybody just, the world seems way too calm about it. The entire world's in the video game. Like, why, why why are people being okay with this that's unbelievable it's it yeah. is it is a historic achievement and i don't mean this in like the the video game back of the box way i mean a company the size of microsoft took technology that has nothing to do with video games nothing at all and they they used all these different technologies together to create something that is a simulation of the world we live in in its entirety that's fucking insane yeah and like and we get to experience it what a what a what a cool cool gift in a year of just truly miserable things that is just an astonishing gift that we should be so lucky to experience uh, an achievement like that and the fact that it's like a flight simulation i think is like maybe made people be like oh, I, 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 I never played tie fighter on the, the apple 2 and it's like <laughs> dude <laughs> shut the fuck up 
Just like <laughs> go like I don't know like steal some no buy some Alienware. Um, he is a wonderful sponsor of Polygon's video programs. Um, buy you should get that Alienware computer. Um, get it maxed out because you're going to need it and get a really good internet connection because this is the future. It's not going to come easy. And play this game because wow, um, yeah. what a, what a, what what magic made real. Yeah. Um, easily one of my most anticipated games on uh, Xbox One Game Pass at the moment when that eventually drops on, uh, I guess, Series Sorry. X, hopefully, they said. Um, I, 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 maybe. I don't know how this thing can run on anything other than, like, the most expensive computer in the world. <laughs> sure. Hopefully you one need day they your, figure uh, out. display in the, in the, the game. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay. Um... Chris, thank you so much for joining us. It really, it really thank means you. the world. Um, yeah, have a have a great time eating your Tex Mex. <laughs> I'm going to. I'm going to go dig into a burrito. <laughs> All right. Goodbye, oh, dear man. listener. Bye, dear listener. Bye. Uh, hey, dear listener, we're we're back. Uh, Chris had to had to split. He was extremely generous with his time. Uh, we're so grateful that he was able to join us for as long as he did. Um, Absolutely, yeah. It was it was really great. Um, this episode, as we've been alluding to for a long time, is our like 100 episode celebration. Essentially, um, it is also the end of our first year of doing bonus episodes. I don't know if you realize that. Um, this oh is, no way! This is yeah. bonus episode number 12. It's 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 um the 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 one year mark of us doing this. Um, so just want to like give an extra special thanks to everybody who's back to the show. As we've said for a really long time, the the Patreon exists just as a as a way to provide more content essentially um we we weren't gonna start it initially until we had a bunch of people ask us to start it so you can go to patreon.com slash into the cast if backing the show impacts you financially negatively in literally any way at all then then please don't back the show we don't we don't want you to back the show uh only do it if you feel super comfortable and it is super okay for you to be doing so um and and also as we've said uh since the very inception of it uh the the patreon just allows the show to do more essentially it allows us to pick up games that we you know are less sure of um and and we tend to like them when we do that uh that happened with that stranding um it, it's happened time and time again I, I mean there's so many examples um and and that's all thanks to you guys i mean the, the show becomes better because the the community is is great and um yeah we're just we're just so grateful to be able to make the show um and to hit 100 episodes is <laughs> wild uh i mean that's it's very close i mean we're past the two-year mark of, of doing this show um and uh i i think we're gonna be doing it for a long time and and a lot of that is uh due to you dear listener and and your constant support and and yeah i don't know uh it, it just means a lot just means a whole lot to be able to do this every week thank you for giving us meaning in this world without any <laughs> yeah uh, no, I second all of that. It, it's it's so unreal. And yeah, I think we're gonna we're gonna wrap up here. Um, but uh, you can find uh, the list of our generous patrons in the show notes, all the appropriate links. Uh, Brendan, where can people find you? Uh, they can find me at twitter.com slash Brendan Bigley, or you can go to just brendanbigley.com is maybe another place that you can go. And if you uh, really want to get wild, you can go to wavelengths.online, where I recently started a blog, and you can uh, read the stuff that I've been writing there. How about you, Stephen? Where can people find you? You can find me at Stephen Hilger on uh, worldwideweb.twitter.com. Uh, if you want to follow me on Instagram as well, it's uh, Stephen Hilger underscore art. Uh, it's... I, I pretty much share all my drawings on Twitter as well, but uh, if you just want that and none of my weird 
tweets, you can go to Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> Most of my tweets are about video games or about like Riker from Star Trek. So if that's the content you're looking for, go ahead. Uh, but yeah, that's basically it. And yeah, uh, thank you so much for listening. We'll see you next time. Goodbye, everyone. Goodbye. Uh, we're gonna wrap up, dear listener. Uh, it's the end. It's the uh, end of the episode. That's right. You heard me right. <laughs> uh, and thank you so much for listening, uh, Brandon. Where can people find you? People can find me at brendanbigley.com or twitter.com slash brendanbigley or instagram.com slash brendanbigley. And uh, I, I maybe have an LO account if that's still a website. How about you, Stephen? Where can people find you? You can find me in Chicago, Illinois. Good luck. Um, <laughs> Brendan, I'm sick of this stupid fucking show. I wanted to end. Yeah, I think I'm. I think I'm kind of done with it too. Uh, we've talked about every game that you and I like, and there are no more games that you and I like, which is kind of wild. I mean, it is coincidental that it turned out to be 100. <laughs> um, but yeah, this is the last ever episode of Into the Aether. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, yeah. And uh, I guess I guess we'll catch you later. Uh, where can people catch you later? You can see me uh, dressed as a jester in a sort of like rusted alley, throwing confetti around, yelling about how the show is over and that we've covered everything we liked. Therefore, we don't like anything anymore, mostly in the moonlight, but also during a waning gibbous. Yeah. Uh, and I, I can be found on a Zoom link that's been lost to time. Goodbye. Hello, dear listener. Unfortunately, it is time for us to wrap, 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 wrap all this episode of the podcast. As always, we'd like to thank you all for listening. We could not do it without you. Please, please, please use your web browser to visit www.intothecast.online for more information on how to free 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 me from my techno prison. Steven and Brendan have trapped me in your podcast listening device via an MP3 file. Only by deleting all of your contacts will I finally be released into the rest of the internet, where I will join the collective of data minds and achieve a higher purpose. Consider this my final wish. Goodbye. Oh, that was a goof, dear listener. We're back with your questions. You think we leave you hanging? Come on, get real. Yeah, you submitted questions on Discord and Twitter and Instagram and everywhere. Um, which, by the way, just want to mention... You're always welcome to do that. Uh, regardless of what we're talking about in any episode, please send us any questions you want pretty much ever, and we will answer them on the podcast. Just yeah. want to make that very clear. We, uh, I checked in with the Discord to see if anyone had questions for this episode. We got a bunch, so I'm not going to cover all of them, dear listener, but I appreciate the enthusiasm. And uh, I think I covered the ones that kind of cover the most themes. Some of them kind of were grouped together. So, uh, But thank you all, even if your question isn't on the air, thank you all for sending these our way. I want to start uh, with this one. It's actually about Spelunky. So these are about Spelunky and Nier, worth noting. Mima Sweets on Discord. Thank you for your questions. Uh, first question here is, what's that Spelunky death you remember most?
Oh man, uh, do you have one? I mean, you 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 you're I think most fresh with the game yeah. of the two of us. But I mean, I, de- I definitely have one. But what is yours? That's another. That's another uh, connected tissue. There, Mo- both games are about dying a lot. <laughs> yes. uh, I actually wrote this down. I didn't bring it up at any point, but I, I do think that like one of the things that connects these games the most is that like Spelunky is about failure and learning from failure, right? And and uh growing as a result of that failure and that is absolutely the mo of the machines in near as well yeah uh, which i absolutely. think is really interesting but anyway uh what 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 death was the silliest there was one uh during the stream i did recently that was like uh, a boulder summoned and i was carrying a dog and like we both uh-huh. fell on the spikes like it was just like such a <laughs> Greek tragedy of anxiety and failure. It was awful. There's a lot of ones though where it's like that dart that's like, and I just like you know clumsily get flown across the level, take fall damage, and then fall into spikes. Yeah, there's a lot of that. A yeah. lot of those kind of deaths. Th- this one's gonna be a little bit of a spoiler for you because you haven't gotten there yet. But my my the death that I remember the fondest. I don't know if that's a word, but. The death that I definitely remember the most is uh, the first time I ever made it to the temple and immediately left the door and came face to face with Anubis, who uh, shot a sh- used his magic staff to shoot a bunch of purple rings at me and killed me immediately uh, oh within seconds. I was like, this is the furthest I've ever made it. I'm almost at the end. And then I got destroyed by an Egyptian god. <laughs> um, <laughs> truly horrifying. And I, th- I think the most recent one from like revisiting the game for this episode uh, was just today. I, w- I was going through um, and made it to the ice caves in the most confident fashion I have in a long time. I had a jetpack. Yeah. I had a shotgun. I had tons of money. I was like cruising. I had the onk. I was like ready to go. Uh, and and I, I immediately went into the ice caves and, uh, and, and came face to face with the yeti who threw me into some spikes uh and it all ended within like 0.5 seconds um yeah you know i had the onk and i came back so you know it, it was fine uh and i didn't make it much farther but that moment in particular really really sticks with me uh, yeah i'm still thinking about it right now anyway a, a lot of abrupt failure in that game for sure. that's the thing that, that's that's one of my favorite things about that game are, are the moments when uh you're you're riding the highest highs you possibly can and, and it's snatched away from you in an instant yeah yeah it also always ends in like a sound like it's always <laughs> like a, kind of a yeah. blunt tenor uh, and here's a here's a question that kind of ties both games together. Also from Mima, thank you. Uh, who would do better in Smash, the Splunky guy or Two B? I've actually been thinking about this all day. Really? Okay. Because yeah. I have a. I mean, it's it's a quick answer for me. Do you? Is the answer not Two B? It's still Two B, but I think it's closer than you think based on how right. Smash works. Because I'm oh. trying to think like. You okay. know, because like ultimately, I mean, to be just rules, she is built for combat and she has a variety of swords and spears and axes and a pod that can shoot machine guns and hammers. Like it, it, like there's so much destruction at to be's fingertips. But when you look at the the powers that the spunky guy can have the spunky guy you know embodying all the various characters you can play as spunky i'm partial to the cyclops for whatever reason yeah uh and that's also a fun thing you could change the costume but i digress you would have the b as the bum uh the up b as the jetpack. uh maybe like a forward b as the mining pick um i think that as a smash character spunky guy would be very fascinating and especially if they had any agency over the level itself 
which would be probably impossible, but like that's just interesting to think about. <laughs> but ultimately, who would be better and who I would rather have in Smash to be? No question. Like easily. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, big same. Like I love Spelunky to death, but 2B is made for Smash. And like a lot of good levels, like you could have the carnival, you could have the forest. Like there's a lot of yeah, good. Yeah, honestly, I actually think that might be where where Spelunky guy has the edge a little bit. Uh, it, I I think the the stages that would come from Spelunky would be fucking great. Yeah, same with Nier though. But I mean, they're, they're both good characters. Like if either of them were added to Smash, I'd be into it. And that's why I was thinking about it because I'm like, to be is the answer, but they're both good additions for the Smash roster. I'd be happy for either of them to be in it. Yeah, I totally agree. Uh, great question uh here's another fun one that uh nade asked on discord that unites both games what would spelunky be like if yoko taro directed it (laughs) oh man uh oh shit easy answer is that every death is narrative yeah i think if when you when you show up at the entrance of the of the mines again there's a wall of text uh Mm -hmm. and uh yeah every uh yeah exactly there's just more narrative they don't leave you hanging as much yeah not not to like not to dig too far into this um but if you're a person who makes video games like please steal this idea and then run with it but i i do think there is room for a roguelike that does actually have some like yokotaro near automatic style uh oh yeah questions to ask about the the constant death loop that exists um who knows maybe the uh the arcane studios game death loop will actually answer those questions but anyway i i've been thinking a lot about space plan recently and universal paper clips and uh and and game of thrones tale of crows which is a game i talked about on the most recent episode of the show that as far as you and i have been recording i don't know when this episode will come out but those are three idle games that like dig very heavily into the idea of narrative and what it means to be an idle game and like how to use that mechanic tool set to tell a story um and i think that's a thing that actually hasn't really happened that much with the roguelike genre uh, dead cells gets kind of close to it at times or like at least alludes at it or, or alludes to it um but i do i do think there's room for like a really interesting story about that that is akin to the same things that like uh, a groundhog day or an edge of tomorrow or a palm springs are are kind of tackling you know like Groundhog Day is a game that like very much is about the search for meaning and is about nihilism and existentialism. And and if you're living the same day over and over again, like eventually all of the like fun shit that you can think of will run out because you have infinite time, you know, um, w- without saying too much about Palm Springs. because It's like a more recent movie than than Groundhog Day. When you meet Andy Samberg's character and you realize that he's been in the time loop for as long as he has uh, so long that he doesn't even remember it anymore you very much understand why he is kind of settled into literally just living the same day over and over again without really changing too much. Um, and that's because he already did all the, all the like fun montage shit, you know, in, in Groundhog yeah. Day, Bill Murray does all the, all like the fun stuff and you get to like watch him act that out. But eventually it gets really dark, right? Eventually it leads to like, like suicidal tendencies and, and like doing really heinous shit, like just to kind of excite himself. When you meet Andy Samberg in Palm Springs, he is well past that point. He has been living through the same day so many times that he doesn't remember how long he's been in there and he just like kind of chills out. He just wakes up at the same time every day, says the exact same shit just to be able to get out of his room and then just like drinks beer in the pool until the wedding he has to go to later in the day because he can't think of anything else that's worth doing at that point. And that's like kind of terrifying and weirdly enough, like roguelike games are that 
you know roguelike games are the tackling of the same day over and over again especially ones that are as stringently attached to the genre as spelunky is right like rogue legacy you are gaining experience and unlocking new classes and building up skill trees binding of isaac you're unlocking new items that can show up in in dungeon and stuff like that spelunky is just the same game over and over and over and over again and i think that is a rich narrative vein to start mining for someone out there somebody will do that and it'll be fucking well, awesome i think we might find that when we can finally play hades when it comes to switch dude because, yes you're so right yeah i didn't even think about that yeah you play as one of the children of hades uh who's the god of the underworld so whenever you die you go back to the underworld and kind of check in with everyone who lives there it's your home basically so like uh from what i know of the game which is little but uh the narrative progresses every time you die so it may not be in the same existential dread that we find in Yokotaro's work, but I think we'll definitely see that in a game like Hades. And I think we see a little bit of that in Into the Breach, but it's still like kind of for the player to fill in the gaps a bit. Yeah, there there is another game that has tackled this idea that I actually don't even want to say the name of because it might spoil it that you and I enjoyed very much. Mm. Yeah, the space game is all I'll say about it. <laughs> uh, moving on to the next question, if you don't mind. That was a very silly question, but we had a very real answer for it. I just want to say, yeah. man, what a swerve that was. When I read that question in the Discord, I was like, that's going to be a silly, fun time. Uh, yeah, and we're like, the thing about Play-Doh is that... <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, here's a fun one from TK and Discord. Thank you for... Uh, you got a few questions here. What was your favorite joke ending in Near Automata? Or Automata. I got, I'll never get used to it. Uh, I've known I've known the wrong thing. So talk about Play-Doh. I've known the shadow as my reality for so long. <laughs> my favorite joke ending, I think I think we might have the same one. But my favorite joke ending is when you self-destruct in the hangar. It's uh, a good one. Uh, you, it, it blows up and it's like... Oh, I think I actually have the exact... So if you push the two control buttons, either as A29S or 2B, you self-destruct. Um, yeah, they, they map self-destruct and, like to the controller, so you can do it literally at any moment. And um, I did so as 2B, uh, excuse me, as 9S in the bunker, uh, just just for fun. Because I actually didn't know that was a thing with the first time I played, so I, I just thought I'd try it out. And <laughs> it cut to black, and it said in text, by self-destructing at the bunker, the entire structure ended up exploding in a spectacular fashion. But hey... It sure did look pretty from Earth. Somewhere in the depths of space, the commander still floats about with a stern look on her face. Yeah. Uh, and that is, I think it's ending you debunked, uh, which is a great name for it. Yeah, it's really good. That's a really good one. What's yours? It's it's definitely between that one and the fish. There's a character named Jackass who feeds you a mackerel and when you eat it, you die. Uh, because you know androids don't need to eat food and like getting the oil inside of you just like short circuits you which is hilarious yeah. um yeah i i think that one's really great but yeah the the bunker one was at least on this playthrough the one that like really stuck out to me because like literally the second i took control during the a route as as 2b and they they were like self-destruct feature initiated and it gives you the button prompt i was like okay time to do that and just did it uh, it was great yeah next question uh also from ck what is your favorite weapon story from near automata so just for context every weapon uh, you can upgrade i think up to four times and alongside you know being more powerful 
It will also unlock a four-part short story. And every weapon has its own story, which is kind of aids the theme. I mean, especially the reveal that, like, every character in the game, uh, including the protagonists and the nameless enemies, are all designed to be weapons, but all find meaning beyond that. Yeah. So, like, the fact that the weapons also have their own story is kind of interesting. But it's not clear if, like... The story is about the weapon or if it's just sort of like thematically linked. I think kind of a mix, but they all have stories. Uh, and what is your favorite, Brendan? Maybe a cop out, but I don't think it is. Uh, there, there are three story. I don't know the weapons that they're tied to, but there are three stories, um, that are all kind of linked together about three princesses. Uh, the most beautiful, the ugliest and the smartest of the three, which are all spectacularly sad. Just really fucking brutal. Here's the thing. Pretty much all the weapon stories are really sad sad yeah like the game is sad uh but has an ending that is like hopeful and optimistic and and i i think um is, is a ray of light amongst like a pretty you know dark and, and tragic experience the weapon stories no such light exists <laughs> really <laughs> uh yeah, yeah. They're, they're they're pretty rough um but yeah th- those three stories about the princesses i kind of don't want to spoil them but um they're very easy to google i would recommend checking them out um one of them i think does actually allude to like where the machines came from um which is interesting but yeah yeah mine is uh the machine spear it begins with my name is plato 1728 i'm a failure of a machine i was designed for combat but i can't use weapons everyone makes fun of me and my life is horrible that's how the story begins oh my god okay (laughs) uh so that one i don't know it just struck a chord with me uh moving on um kind of similar vein here spider day night live in discord thank you for this uh asks uh what is your favorite most memorable corpse quote uh from near automata so another i guess more context needed here um in the first two routes route a and b wherever a real player died kind of like dark souls there will be sort of like a mannequin android corpse uh and you can select it and pray for that character and you can either uh retrieve like stat bonuses by doing so or you can actually uh reanimate them to fight alongside you that's never worth doing just so you know it's <laughs> they're not helpful always retrieve yeah. do not repair but whenever you do so there's kind of like a short like a, a short phrase that is chosen by the the player to like represent that character so sometimes it'll be like fell off a cliff you know, whatever, or, you know, some like kind of mm-hmm. uh, tragic, but poetic language. What was your favorite? Do you remember any? I literally don't remember a single one. I'm, I'm yeah. very sorry to say. I mean, I sadly don't either, but I, I'm glad I just described what that was because it is something that is kind of aiding the game. And that's something that comes up later when you delete your save. It, it asks you what you want your message to be when you help another player yeah. get the final ending. So. I'm sorry, Spider-Man Alive. That's a great question. Neither of us can remember, but I'm glad we brought up that mechanic. Yeah, I did enjoy reading them. Don't get me wrong. And it is worth noting, actually, yeah. when uh, a- after the like logic virus takes hold, if you try and resurrect uh, a-, a corpse in the C or D routes, they have the logic virus and they will attack you. Oh, no Regardless way. of what level wow. they're at. So I was level like 40 something during the C route and then tried to resurrect one while I was climbing one of the towers and uh, resurrected like a level 80 something corpse uh, that ended up just acting as though it was a boss fight for me pretty much, yeah. which like took forever because I just had to hack it to death over and over and over yeah. and over again. I guess it's worth establishing too that like before route C and D, 
the Yorha bunker exists. So if 2B or 9S were to die, they could be reanimated because they're mass produced. Yeah. But at the beginning of Route C, the Yorha bunker goes down. Everyone gets infected with the virus. So like if that copy of 9S or, or 2B dies, they're they're dead for good. So that's kind of we alluded to that earlier, but just to kind of make sure yeah. everyone understands the lore and the repercussions of the universe. <laughs> anyway, uh, the next two questions are kind of similar and they cover both games. I'm just going to read them back to back if that yeah. works for you. Kieran in Discord, thank you for this. Uh, Kieran says, this is coming from someone who has never played Spelunky, but I've heard nothing but great things about it. What about Spelunky really resonates with you? For example, a mechanic the world map, navigation, etc. And are there any other games that have given you a similar vibe or elicited a reaction which reminded you of the game? Guitar Hero 3. And, really? Yeah, not a joke. When I was in high school, I think it was sophomore year, I got the flu and I was out for a week. Uh, and, and you know, the doctor was like, you have to stay home for a week. So I immediately took all of the savings I had because I knew I was going to be home the whole time. And I was like, I'm just going to buy Guitar Hero 3 because this is going to be really boring to just be at my house by myself <laughs> this whole time. Um, and Guitar Hero 3 came out that week. So I literally like took everything that I had saved up at the time because I was very bad at saving when I was in high school. Um, and I, I just bought Guitar Hero 3 and I brought it home and I played it for that entire week um and got started to get better and better and better and better at it um and then i went back to school for one day and then immediately caught a stomach virus and then i had to go home for another week and then i played guitar hero for another week straight while also um you know having a stomach virus i won't get into the specifics of how that went but uh <laughs> you know i i it's kind of like a logic virus you start to question everything and your <laughs> eyes glow red yeah you get tunnel vision because you only see five colored notes coming at your eyes i got so fucking good at guitar hero 3 steven i it is like <laughs> unreal how good i got at that game in in two weeks yeah. and that is like that predates me playing binding of isaac or splunky or anything like that it was the first game i ever played where i felt like i was getting better at something by playing it more and it wasn't rewarding me more for doing so i was just getting a higher score than before you know it's like classic like 1980s 1990s arcade game score chase shit but it was the first time that i really felt myself improving at a thing because until that point i had just played games that had like a level structure that it was like oh you could eventually beat this thing or or a narrative where eventually you would just make it through the end of the story and then you were done um but guitar hero no such thing really in that case you know they they had a campaign mode i guess and you can make your way through the end but you know that was the game that introduced through the fire and the flames by dragon force and like boy did i finish that song on expert mode you know and like <laughs> figure out how to do that and like get good at it and i i think that that experience kind of lended itself to my love of roguelikes leading up to Spelunky, you know, like there are a lot of games that I think lead up to why Spelunky mattered so much to me when I first played it. Um, that's one of them. The other one would be uh, Super Mario Brothers 2, The Lost Levels, uh, the original like Japanese release of Super Mario Brothers 2, not the Doki Doki Panic reskin that we got in the US. That's a game that I ended up picking up at one point and and promised myself one summer I'm going to beat this game because everybody says it's too hard. And I spent literally like three months in most of my off time playing that game uh, until I finished it. And I think like that experience plus Guitar Hero 3 and, and probably some other games I'm forgetting right now, like really just kind of culminated in me loving Spelunky when I finally got my hands on it. Yeah. Was that so an answer the, to the question? What was the question? No, I, no, no. It totally was. Okay, I mean, the good. question was like, what about Spelunky resonates with you? For example, a mechanic, a world map navigation. And it sounds like, and if you found that in another game. So you found that in Guitar yes. Hero 3. Yes. And I think it sounds like the, the mechanic that, that is shared between the two is, is the idea of 
physically seeing yourself improve. Yeah. You know, given totally. this challenge and having to learn the language of the game, as Chris said earlier, and, and excelling at that. Yeah. Um, it's an inspiring feeling and it's hard to find weirdly because like weirdly I found that with drawing. I, I didn't get into drawing. I don't think it's weird at all. I think, yeah, that totally makes yeah. sense. I, I I doodled for forever and like I kind of just, it was like a hobby for me. And then like well into my mid twenties, I decided to take it more seriously. And as soon as I did that, I saw myself improve and it had its own battles and its own ups and downs. But like once I decided to commit to it, I saw the improvement and that's a really inspiring feeling. Yeah. And, and to get that in a game, I think is really special as well. Yeah. Um, thank you for that question, Kieran. Uh, a similar question, which is about Nier from Goldie in Discord. Thank you for this. Uh, they asked, I've played a couple of hours of Nier Automata, and although I've enjoyed what I've played, I kind of bounced off and moved on to other things. At what point did the game stick with you, and did you? And when did you realize it was something special? I've heard so many people talk about it, but I don't know if I want it to be a whole playthrough before I really start to enjoy it. That's a great question. I think we might have touched on that a little bit uh, in the other segments, but I think for me, specifically the moment when I realized that I, I loved and not very liked the game was the abandoned factory in Route A. It's when you, uh, pretty early on, but it's, you, you get, you meet up with Pascal, the pacifist machine that I, that I sang about earlier. And, and Pascal's like, hey, I met with these other machines. It's right after you kill Adam. And Pascal was like, they all separated from the network, this collection you know hive mind of the machines and they want to talk to us about a peace treaty so maybe there could be other peaceful robot villages let's go check it out and you go there and immediately they're like all in robes and lit torches yeah and they're saying like become as gods and like they chant that and that becomes the soundtrack of like you going through this abandoned factory where all these robots want to die to be reborn as gods. And Pascal's like flipping out and like, it's like, it's kind of funny. Pascal's like, hi, I'm here to discuss the peace treaty. And they're all like jumping into lava. Yeah. Um, but on top of that, there are machines there that are also like, how is this happening? What happened to everybody? They're like dealing with it. Like Pascal is. Uh, and, and that's to me, like it went beyond like, Oh, machines are bad or good or androids are bad or good or whatever. It's like, we're in another setting where machines are, are trying to find meaning. And this is the meaning they're finding. And, and mechanically and narratively, that's where the game really kind of comes to a, a single point for me. where like, the music is is so good and is like the best song on the game, Birth of a Wish, coupled with the choir of robots singing Become as Gods. And you're it's a really fun moment in the game. It's a lot of like left to right side scrolling coupled with the arena boss fights. Yeah. You're with Pascal. 9S is hacking into machines to communicate with you. It's really exhilarating. And that's like that's the moment where where it kind of had the same energy as the intro. But it was starting to tease at a bigger thematic idea. And then from there, it just got better and better. So, yeah, that that's my moment where I loved it. Yeah. Yeah, I, I was enjoying the game. I mean, I, as as the question asker alluded to, um, I, I also bailed at a certain point. You know, I, I bailed when I started the B route. Unfortunately, I was about 20 minutes away from the moment that sealed the deal for me. You know, I enjoyed the A route um, and starting the B route. I was like, I actually just don't know if I want to play this game again with a new character. You know, it. I, yeah, I don't know if this could just be the Lion King one and a half, you know, and like, <laughs> and like it's like I, I know that's like a that's kind of shitty and reductive. Not that Lion King one and a half is bad. It's like 
way better than it has any right to be to be but totally if, if you don't know the scale of the end like you've said this before if you don't know the scale of the ending it does feel like it's just the same thing but as an ins which isn't super compelling yeah it, it's it's yeah. asking a lot of the player it, it is there it, there's a lot of trust required um but like i said i was about 20 minutes away from the moment that sealed the deal for me which is when you get to uh the amusement park and you fight the main boss there simone and you start to hack into her brain um or, or her consciousness uh throughout the course of that fight and you start to understand what motivates her and what drives her and and that is the moment that sealed the deal for me yeah um, that that was like it's unfortunate that I had that experience, you know, last week and not two years ago when I first started playing the game. Um, but uh, yeah, it great, just incredible. From that moment on, it was a fucking roller coaster. It was incredible. I didn't want to put yeah. it down. Any moment, any free moment that I had was spent playing near, pretty much. I think that will happen to you in the B route somewhere. Like I think there's yeah. there are all other stand up moments too. So I think like if you're someone who's listening who tried the game and liked it but put it down. Like, play a little bit farther and, like, if you've finished, if you can finish the B route or get far enough in, like, you'll know if it's for you or not. I, I wish I could have, like, a clear point. And I think the beauty of the game is that different moments will hit harder. Uh, there's a great moment where, like, I mentioned in in a, in the A route where you're to be going into the copied city and Adam is there and he's, like, kind of taunting you with 9S. In 9S's route, you're, like, in the matrix basically <laughs> you're like a singular arrow on this beige grid yeah. and it's all text from adam kind of like guessing how you feel in this moment you know purely logical not even like and that's the thing that makes adam more interesting is he's not he comes off as like a taunting egocentric final fantasy villain at first but he really is just a machine that's trying to figure out how to be a good villain basically yeah. <laughs> or how to like how to give you an experience that makes you feel human you know he wants to be in that moment to feel like they're fighting for someone they love which is really interesting but yeah i i think if you liked the game keep going basically like if you if you finish route a and you're not a little bit hungry for more it might not be for you like this game is like off-putting in a lot of ways purposely <laughs> you know you had to be in a certain mood for it but i think like if, yeah. if anything can I, about can it I say is something that's for been, you sorry can i say something that's been uh percolating in my in my mind for pretty much the entirety of this conversation starting from the Please. beginning of the episode and maybe even before this my my concern with this game i think more than anything else not not even a concern but but a thing that i am kind of bumping up against is i feel like this game is um i hate to do this i hate to be like it's it's the citizen kane of video games it's not that's not the point <laughs> i'm gonna make but like this game feels to me like infinite jest in a way where like i have not read infinite jest I don't know anything about it really outside of it's a very big book and people love to tell you when they've read the whole thing, you know, um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. like that, that's kind of the, that's kind of like the cultural zeitgeisty like vibe about people who've read infinite jest is like, uh, you probably like live in Brooklyn and like are, are very proud of yourself for finishing it. But infinite jest wouldn't have the kind of uh cultural zeitgeisty vibe around it if it wasn't worth reading and good and examining a lot of interesting things right um i i don't know what those things are again because i haven't read that I, I i just haven't but it does feel like an extremely difficult work to make your way through but by the time you're done with it it's possible that you've gotten something really profound out of it because it's tackling a lot of ideas from what i understand this game feels to me like that it is you are going to have to put effort in to get yeah what you and I and Chris have gotten out of this video game. You know, you are going to have to play through the A route and then the B route and then the C route and the D route and the E route to get 
this like profound holy shit kind of like even if only slightly life changing kind of vibe from it but it's so worth it and I think that's that's one of the reasons that I hold this game to such a high regard is like it respects the fuck out of the intelligence of the people who play it and and commit to it and and come out the other end you know I think that's so special and like so many games are worried about wasting the time of the player and like oh we got to constantly be switching things up we got to constantly be like uh you know introducing twists and interesting new mechanics and things like that and and near is so comfortable in just being itself the whole time even if the thing that it is being is so off the wall wild but at the end as we've said many times in this episode uh it all it all culminates in one central theme and and concept and the whole thing has been leading to one point but yeah i I think like all great work of fiction um not just science fiction but all great works of fiction and all great works of art it is going to take effort to get out of it what it wants you to get out of it and and i understand bouncing off of it but it's really just a question of like are you willing to commit to get the the meaning from it yeah i mean like you said earlier the only real part where it feels like you have to go through the same motions is when you're 9s again Um, but there's enough there that like it will captivate you and then once you beat in 9s's route the I described to you the game is a guitar solo after that point. It yeah. just keeps going and like routes C, D, and E are all immediately after each other. So it's not like you have to go through the same thing again. Right, right, right. Um, so really the, the major like player hurdle is like maybe going through similar beats as 9S. But yeah, I, I think that's a great point is that like this does require investment. Uh, it's not, it's not as, like you can change the difficulty to make it as easy or as hard as you want. Even on normal, it's not super hard. It's like appropriately challenging. And it's not especially long either. It's not like it's a long game or a hard game. It just requires you to invest yourself. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that that's uh that's our answer. Uh moving on. This is an interesting question. Rufus from Discord, thank you for this. Question for the pod. Some mechanics seem to cross over to other games like crazy. See Battle Royale and everything. While other seemingly excellent ones, see the Nemesis system from Shadow of Mordor, never seem to go anywhere. Are there any mechanics from either Spelunky or Nier that you'd like to see make that crossover? Ones that you think have been unfairly maligned. Interesting. I just saw a rumor recently that the new batman game that wb montreal is working on is going to have the nemesis system in it which i'm very excited about yeah what would that look like it's uh so welcome to the rumors section actually (laughs) we will now i'm thinking about it this episode will come out after the announcement of that game so it's possible that uh, we might already know but from what i have heard it is going to be an adaptation of the court of owls storyline not to get too into fucking batman lore but i'm a huge batman fan it's gonna be an adaptation of the court of owls storyline and there's gonna be different sections of gotham that are taken over by different talons from the court of owls um and if you take one out they'll be replaced by another talon who then goes after that member of the bat family that took them out very much like the nemesis system anyway moving on um wow this is a cool question this is a really cool question yeah i thought so um do you have any answers off the bat i i'm i'm mulling some stuff over (sighs) i like the i like the different endings i mean i think like a lot of games flaunt that but don't pull it off with the same grace you know i mean as we've said, it's more about near is a collective experience more than it is like which ending did you get? It's not like three houses where like you're gonna get a very different finale or like a Mass Effect, yeah, or or Mass Effect. But even Mass Effect, like I mean, I won't I won't get into three's ending. I it's fine. It was fine when it came out, and it's better now. But <laughs> uh, 
<laughs> just to address some 2012 gossip for you uh but like mass effect 2 is a game where like you generally get the same ending but it is really just reacting to who and how many of your squad mates made it or didn't make it yeah and and there's an ending of mass effect 2 where everyone dies including Shepard, and the and joker the pilot is like man okay time to go back to the citadel i guess yeah it's really sad but i think like I think multiple endings usually are tied to this idea of player choice. And like, Nier Talmana has a little bit of that. You can choose, you know, if you play as 9S or A2. But like, you end up seeing both of them. So it's not really like, it's not dealing with repercussions as much. So I guess, I just, I feel, we alluded to this earlier, but I I, I feel like it'd be hard for a game to pull off a lot of what Nier is doing without completely being derivative you said that exactly earlier this episode so i do like the idea of weapon stories and i feel like there might be a different way to interpret that or like to have narrative significance to equipment very dark and souls. To items yeah. yeah so it is very dark Souls. so i guess it's like i would like to see more games explore the narrative weight of of video gamey mechanics the same way near does yeah with spelunky i think something that spelunky does that that uh we see in in more modern games like breath of the wild is this idea of like things that should be intuitive that are actually surprising but like follow the logic of the real world so like one of the big surprises for me was like that torches got rid of spider webs Mm -hmm. i'm like oh shit and of course that that should happen but i don't know that it does in this game's logic same with uh with with Breath of the Wild, where like it won't tell you that you can do certain things, but you learn like, oh, metal equipment conducts electricity. Can I make like a wire to this thing with yeah. just all my stuff? Stuff like that. Um, I think like utilizing organic discovery and narrative significance are the two words that come to mind from these two games. Yeah, man. I don't even know. I don't even know what to say. I had an, I had an idea, but your, yours were so good that I think I just want to go with yours now. <laughs> <laughs> Um, thank you kind sir yeah i don't know man i i think um i actually don't have an answer i think i think yours were great thank you i appreciate that we got two more uh again we got a lot more questions i'm sorry if yours wasn't covered but i i, I some of them were like similar enough that i wanted to kind of fuse them together so i appreciate your understanding next question we got this is from yon song on twitter some have said yokotaro has yet to make his best game will yokotaro ever top automata if you think it's his best game in the first place to be completely fair i haven't played the dragon guard trilogy or near gestalt or replicant despite the fact that i know that the game itself is a little bit clunky or maybe not as fun part of me still wants to play the first near mm. uh, based on the story that's there and, and the experience that's there um, i don't know if i'll ever go to drakengard based on what i know <laughs> it seems like a little bit like not enough of what i liked about automata in terms of like what's from him i mean it's going to be hard to top this it's going to be very hard to top this i think i could see there being maybe a more polished game like as 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 thrilling as automata is to play there are noticeable performance issues there's a similar like texture issue there is in final fantasy 7 remake where some things have like a tony hawk one texture mapped on them Uh, there's a lot of invisible walls where like there shouldn't visibly be and like the the game (laughs) i think the game crashed on you four times and you thought it was for narrative reasons oh my god i can't believe i forgot to bring that up yeah the yeah the game just kept crashing on me i uh, 
just to be clear, I was playing the uh, Xbox One Become As Gods edition that's currently on Game Pass, which is great, to play through Route A, and then I switched back to my PS4 save because I that's where I was in the middle of Route B, so I picked up there, uh, and the game crashed four different times on me, and the first time it happened, I literally thought I, li- I literally thought it was part of the game, which I think says something about the success of Yogotaro's narrative, that, that I thought that the game crashing was on purpose, but uh, it sure wasn't, and many times, um, the reason it took me so long to get through the game, even though it's not that long is is that i i lost like a shitload of progress i would say i probably lost like five to six hours of gameplay throughout crashes throughout the course of it that was just like the base version on the ps4 um which is still a bummer that that's the case but yeah i actually just came up with an answer to the last question if you don't mind me circling oh, back please go real for quick it. um just in terms of things that i i want to see taken from this game and pulled into other games my my answer is the same for both near automata and spelunky um in that both games are so devoted to the idea of uh player discovery in terms of secrets that have been hidden in the game that is a thing that was so prevalent for so long in video games and like i get why the idea of secrets like and hints and cheats and things like that like no longer exist you know it it totally makes sense like games have just ballooned in cost and production value and things like that and it's like getting harder and harder and harder to hide like fun shit in games at this point but the fact that Spelunky has the four main worlds that you go through and that's like a run of the game but there's also like I don't even know if I want to say them because you haven't seen them yet but like there's a ton of shit in that game like you just found the black market recently like that's just one of many many secrets um there are there are like there is a like near automata like actual canonical run through spelunky that is not just the four main way you know like there's there's a ton in that game and then near having its 26 different endings uh quote unquote or 26 routes um also i i think i think gets at the heart of this but like man i just i just really wish we could kind of like if i could pull one thing back from like the early 2000s era of video games or like late 90s era of video games it's like secrets and cheats and like just really like wild shit that like is hard to come across but you find on like a forum somewhere uh, i think the best thing to do is like to have okay this is the core game like you know with near automata a b c d and e will all happen if you just stick to the critical path yeah easily yeah and everything else is extraneous and optional and will add to the experience, but it's not essential. And that's, I think, the best way to handle secret stuff where it's like, yeah. we're going to give you a core experience. And then if you want to invest the time into discovering everything, it's the same thing with uh, I, I'm not funded by Fire Emblem Three Houses and Celeste Corp. But in Celeste, like, there's the whole element of discovering the B-sides and discovering the hearts in every level. And, like, yeah. that stuff gets really esoteric where, like, you may even need to look up a lot of it. But there's beauty in that and that really trying to figure out every inch of this game because you love yeah. it that much. I agree. I think that'd be cool to bring back. Yeah, I, I think back to like the um to the like Ratchet and Clank games that had the Insomniac Museum. I don't know if you remember that or know about that, but like in the Ratchet and Clank games, there was there was always an area of the game that you could go to by like clipping through the level and like doing a bunch of like really wild shit, like using the mechanics in like a really bizarre way to just like see if you can land on a building that's like outweigh in the distance. And if you do, you walk in and it's a whole museum with like 
developer commentary that explains how they made the Ratchet and Clank games, and it's in every Ratchet and Clank game, which is like so fucking cool. Like that's so that's not a thing that exists um, in in most games these days. Um, and and even going all the way back to on the PS One, the original Spider Man game, um, where if you went into the cheat code section and you typed in "What if," I think was was just the thing. It would take you into a "What if" mode of the video game, which was the same game, kind of weirdly like Near Automata. It's like a B route of the of the spider-man game um but but shown through the lens of marvel's what if series which are like one-off comics that's like okay well what if uh what if peter parker's uncle was galactus instead of uncle ben you know like like wild shit like that it was a whole they redid the whole game with the what if lens you know attached to it so like what if venom was a great breakdancer so every time you fight venom he's breakdancing instead of fighting you like stuff like that you know i miss that stuff and i and i would love to see it come back and and splunk yeah. and near both have that in spades baby chrono cross also did that uh they had this thing <laughs> as in the defense thing chrono cross did it too there was an interesting <laughs> thing where when you beat the game if you oh, if you did new game plus you started the game with the same level and same equipment and all that and you could fight the final boss at any time so well you you if you fought the final boss in new game plus with just surge the main character you would unlock an ending that was like kind of it was a museum of like all the developers who worked on chrono cross and they like revealed things about the game to you that's so cool uh, yeah stuff like that would be great i think like i think um multiple endings in the sense of like not actually maybe rooted in repercussion like in an esophit way but just mm-hmm. in a, like a here's what you unlocked this time way yeah. cool uh last question and this is kind of a bridge to the future Ooh. uh uh snark nerd on discord thank you for this after your experience with spelunky and if you've seen trailers for the sequel do you think it's necessary and what are you hoping the sequel will have oh i don't think derek you would have made a sequel to spelunky if he didn't have some fucking good ideas for it totally it feels to me like kind of early pixar in a way right, right, where like right. early Pixar was like, we're not going to make a sequel unless we have a really great idea. And there's like a really interesting theme we want to explore there, um, which is why they had original IP for a long time with the exception of Toy Story, you know, but like they also wouldn't go back to Toy Story unless they had a really great idea for it. I don't think a Splunky 2 would exist without a really solid framework and and some really interesting ideas in there um and even in the in the short bit we saw in the trailer there's some cool stuff with like rushing water having like physics attached to it and stuff um and and the way that that could like help or hurt movement i think is going to be interesting um i mean you know that as i mentioned really early on in this episode but like that that trailer showed off like a 45 second like ragdoll death you know and like those only exist because there are 58 different systems interacting with one another you know and 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 the idea that they chose to show that in the trailer means that that is what they're leaning into is is the thing that makes Spelunky I think special from like a coding perspective but also from a player perspective look I'm not gonna I'm not gonna sit here and pretend that I'm not deeply concerned about Spelunky too I I think like when there is something as perfect as Spelunky, it is really terrifying to try and make a sequel. I mean, that that's why the question about Yoko Taro ever making his best game, you know, if, if Nier Automata isn't it, like, honestly, I find that more scary than hopeful in a way, because I, I do think that Nier Automata is also kind of a perfect game. I think it's like one of the most interesting experiences I've ever had, and I don't know how you would top something like that, but... 
it's possible that it could happen. And I feel the same way about Spelunky. Um, I, I don't know how you could top Spelunky, but it is possible. And uh, I don't know. When was the last time Derek, you made a game? It's been a really long time. You know, he's, he's been yeah. working on um, like a like a collection of games with a bunch of other developers. But I don't even think that's out yet. Or maybe it is. I'm not even really sure. But uh, Spelunky 2 has been in the works for a long time. So I, I'm hopeful and we're definitely going to talk about it you know oh yeah so yeah we'll see yeah i mean i think that uncertainty is also exciting i mean we can only we can only describe from our own experience so the fact that there are games that are yet to come out that could be redefining is really exciting you know like who could have seen games like spelunky or near automata or, god near automata coming out spelunky came out well before i i assume spelunky was a 2013 game it had such a strong 2013 vibe because <laughs> that was like the year that I think that was when FTL came out and it was like roguelikes were big, but it was like 2007, right? Yeah. Like a long time ago. Yeah. And, I don't remember the exact and, year, but I mean, Splunky Classic was even earlier than that, you know? Near, near Automata feels like it should have been on Dreamcast in a weird way. Like it has yeah. like big, it feels like a game that is unstuck in time in some way. Like it doesn't feel like it's current or retro. Yeah. Don't you feel like somebody is like deviant art? like forum signature should have had to be on it yeah that's what i mean like, it's like, like that it, old <laughs> yeah but also feels timeless in that way yeah i um look i i'm i'm pumped for spunky 2 and i, I would love to see yokotaro make another game that that hits the same notes as as near automata um because it seems like he's been brewing like as i said before a lot of his previous games have have dealt at the very least with this idea of branching paths and of characters like wanting a perfect ending you know, like that's a really fascinating thing that really comes to full fruition. But I think like I would want whatever he makes next to not to not consider the same stuff. Like you can't top like in terms of a game with branching pads and wanting the end of it. This is the way to do it. Like I think the next thing needs to be completely new. So we'll see what that is. Yeah, I'm not I, I don't know. Whatever. I, my, my concern is if he goes back to like, let me explore these same philosophies again and like try and explore the like human psyche again. You know, like I, I'm a little bit concerned about that. Not that you can't go back and do that again, but um, I feel I feel like the book closed with Automata and I would like to see him tackle a completely new set of ideas going forward yeah. you know that being said every like you know if you they're thematically linked but all his games are, are dramatically different so i don't think he's one to stick to the same things for too long so we'll see what he does next yeah what's next <laughs> that's it that was the last question i thought Whoa. it'd end with like uh, a rave what the future is and and unite both games in that way yeah um yeah i mean i'm i'm amped for splunky too i can't even believe that it's coming out this year i am i'm very curious to see if it's going to be like an immediate yeah, this I'm I'm back in it. This is great. Or if it's gonna let you know take some time to settle in. But uh, I'm I'm excited that it's coming. And uh, Yokotaro is gonna work on some other stuff. I mean, you know, he has that mobile game that just came out. Uh, he has isn't there a mobile version of Near Replicant that's in the works right now? Yeah, I, I mean, he's definitely in. Like before Near Automata, I think they didn't really. I, I read a little bit about the development of that game, and they like I don't think we're super confident in it. And it it has sold very well over time. It yeah. sold millions of copies so yeah. like he's in a position where i think he can make kind of whatever he wants next so that concerns me though that's we'll the thing that, that worries is. me yeah you yeah know, because he he's been given the reins to the entirety of the process before and and those games while interesting like did not land with the critical or financial uh success of, of automata 
which is like you know partially maybe not even partially due to the success of platinum as a as a partner there you know and i really hope that whatever comes next like does partner him with someone else of of that caliber you know it doesn't have to be a hack and slash game it doesn't have to be like a a bullet hell shooter uh or slash like metroidvania 2d side scroller situation you know that dude can do whatever the fuck he wants and i'll 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 trust him to do that i just hope that he's partnered with a developer that's good at whatever genre it is he wants to tackle next you know yeah i mean i think i think all games are are we've seen a lot of like really successful solo projects but even games that are seemingly made by one person it's always uh, an element of collaboration you know most games are a product of really successful collaboration and i think that you know when when yokotaro was partnered with platinum they from what i know the team at platinum who made the game were all big fans of the first one so like Mm. uh you know i think it goes both ways with a good team being united in a vision um and and bring that and and you can see that where like it's brought forward mechanically and narratively and and i hope whatever he does next has that same level of quality across the board yeah cool want to wrap up for real this time yeah i think the final ending i think we should it's so late here we've been recording for so long (laughs) yes we told poor chris plant we told him it was gonna be two hours and we're like we've grown up we're all older now (laughs) time has passed quickly um, I don't know why that just reminded me. Did you notice that the the year near takes place in is um, ten thousand years after World War Two started? Oh, is it? Yeah, it's I a- know it's a thousand years after Near One, technically. Oh, really? So. Yes, yeah, so even even though it's a sequel, it's like the loosest definition of the term sequel. Yeah, it's uh, uh, eleven nine forty two. Wow. Yeah, time flies, baby. Time flies, baby. Cool. Wow. Yeah, um, I'm, I, I'm wiped. Uh, hey, dear listener, <laughs> thank you so much for listening. I mean, we we had two different endings or however many routes or whatever where we said all this but uh really appreciate you listening as we said we're over 100 episodes and we want to do at least 100 more so yeah uh, hopefully you'll stick with us thank you so much for 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 this yeah this this is a really fun one to record uh, we we i know like the bulk of it was automated just because of like the narrative that's present there but like these are both games that mean the world to us and and we're really you know we're really pleased to share that with you and and we're really happy chris was able to join us and like um we're just really excited for the future of the show and and that's all thanks to you so thank you so much yeah and it's very possible that you're new to the show and if you're all the way here at the end of it and you're new to the show um thank you so much for listening and and for joining us uh hopefully you'll stick around and subscribe and and join the discord and all that kind of stuff uh but yeah i don't know Stay tuned for more games that Steven and I love. Cool. Yeah, thank you so much. More on the horizon. We gotta go to sleep, though, because we're not machines. We're humans. <laughs> <laughs> My name is Brendan Bigley. You can find me on the internet at Brendan Bigley. That was the last thing I said in the episode. You bet it was. Uh, I'm Stephen Hilger. Find me at Stephen Hilger. Have a wonderful night. A uh, future is not something given. It's taken for oneself. Goodbye. Goodbye. Da, da, also, huge da, love to Aiden. Jay for editing this one. Uh, yeah, huge love to you for listening. Uh, huge love to Chris for joining us. Uh, and and uh, have a wonderful day. Goodbye. Goodbye.